Welcome to a, a special podcast of King of Lifts. <laughs> Listen, gentlemen, 2020 was crazy. 2020 once again a little bit crazier. All right, especially in the world of powerlifting. Um, I mean, not quite as crazy as the Pentagon releasing footage of UFOs and lockdowns, but our version of UFO talk is is right here with us. Um, so. Obviously, there's drama between the IPF and the USAPL, and everybody's going crazy about it. Um, it's it's talk in the powerlifting community, as you would expect. And I have uh, IPF legend in lifting, as well as coaching, Mike T. Um, I have the Canadian IPF affiliate, the CPU Canadian Powerlifting Union, Shane Martin, the president here, um, also a lifter, also a coach. And then I have Arian Messi Kamesi, who is a, a co-host. And um, Arian, let's give a little bit about of your resume as well, because your resume is growing, and it's uh, you're like the hardest working man in powerlifting. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm involved in a few different levels. So, like you know, in USAPL, I'm the state chair of Florida. So it goes well with what we're discussing here. Like I do in competition drug tests and out of competition drug tests. Also for the NAPF, I'm the, uh, the treasurer and the scoring manager. So I'm involved in the NAPF and see a little bit more of the, you know, the third party drug testing. And then for the IPF, I'm a, a category two referee. So, you know, I go to uh, IPF meets as well uh, for the national team coaching, but also like, you know, the referees more like the IPF side of it. There you go. And gentlemen, uh, should I add some more accolades to yourselves um, that I missed out as well? Or is that pretty good? Yeah. Okay. I'm the president. <laughs> You're the president. It doesn't get much higher than that. You don't need to be. And then in grade 12, he was, uh, you know, <laughs> we're good. We don't need to talk about high school. <laughs> how, how much you bench. That's right. I it's failed 95 pounds in high school. <laughs> well, there you go. Okay. Those records are sealed, but, um, so we'll, we'll kick off maybe with a little bit of chain of events. We'll back up for anybody who's been living under a rock and, and just hasn't been paying attention Arian, maybe take us back to the post that kicked it all off. Yeah, I mean, for those who don't know, technically it goes like before that because IPF and USAPL have been button heads for a few years when it comes to his drug testing. But now it's like, you know, it's really ramping up again. And so it's been really been pushing this year with the new IPF bylaws and constitutions they wanted to pass. And so once they got passed, USAPL started making some posts about it on Facebook and Instagram to inform everyone. And so the first one, was back on April 12th, where they were talking about the whole uh, IPF lifters competing in other federations, like, you know, international championships. And so they basically, you know, made the consequences uh, bigger. So they want to inform the, all the members of USAPL about that. But they've really been ramping it up with, you know, then they posted about uh, a few days ago about the whole WADA mandate and doing the third-party testing, the WADA-compliant testing, or the extra costs from all that, and, you know, having them do all the TUEs and everything. And then the most recent one today was them talking about how the bylaws and, and the constitution also talk about things as far as the matching the IPF age divisions, which USAPL does not do, and the IPF approval list, which USAPL does not enforce at the local level. And um, some of the, it, it, here's what's probably most telling for me. And you gentlemen, let me know your thoughts on this. When they dropped the first one, Arian, can you do me a favor and rattle off a couple of the comments in the comment section that came out? And if ever, and this is why this is important, if ever you were going to drop information and you weren't sure how it was going to be taken, you don't know ahead of time. And if it gets taken the wrong way, you can be like, well, 
that kind of went sideways. That's not what we were implying. So we should be careful when we drop things or word things differently. They got a taste of how people reacted and they definitely leaned into. So let's hear some of the comments. Yeah. I mean, some of them were, you know, talking about from like the coach's side, like how are you supposed to, you know, as a coach, be able to run your business. If you have to like, you know, worry about which competitions you're going to, if you're coaching lifters from different federations, or if it happens to be like, you know, a band lifter at that competition, some people were just talking about from, from the athlete side as well saying like, Oh, the IPF doesn't pay the athletes. So how can they tell them like, you know, where to go and everything like that. Um, so, you know, some people are you know, going, uh, really crazy calling them communists or like, you know, dictators and this and that, like telling exactly where lifters can go, what they can do, that kind of stuff. Um, so it, it started getting into a lot of comments like that. Um, and this is the first one we're talking about. Let me take a look at here. You're talking about the one that dropped a week ago, right? The initial. I was talking the first one, April 12th was about competing in the, the non IPF events. Okay. Where then they, it used to be where you couldn't compete in international meet for 12 months. Now they're trying to come down to the member federations and say that, that they can't compete on national meets as well for 12 months. So then someone wouldn't be able to, you know, do USAPL collegiate nationals or open nationals or anything like that. And so they're saying that, you know, they're, they're stepping beyond their power to come and tell member federations how to run their national meets and then they don't pay the lifters and everything like that. So how can they say where the lifters and the coaches and the referees can go and what they can do now? Let's take it to the one that dropped on the 14th. I believe this is the one that really made the boom goes the dynamite moment. <laughs> if you, yeah, you so, yeah, that's when people are saying, uh, you know, leave, leave the IPF and um, things like, you know, they're not IPF is nothing without USAPL. People saying like, this is an abusive relationship and stuff like that, um, that, you know, that they believe, you know, USAPL drug testing, is going to get, you know, more people because you're going to be able to test more people. And if we go down to like, you know, no testing at the local level, then anyone can just show up, cheat, you know, get records, beat someone. And then like, you know, what's the point of it all. So then that's when everyone really started saying like, you know, leave the IPF, leave the IPF. Like every other comment is like, just leave the IPF. And that's the one. So that's the one with the, the post that was talking about doping it just to give it, just to give an idea. Like for instance, Sean Neorega posted, just leave LOL without us. The IPF is nothing. And that, comment got 333 likes now i get it there's thousands like 20,000 or plus people in the usapl so it's a small sample size in terms of that i get that however 333 likes and it's straight up just leave lol and that's those sentiments were echoed by several other people um you know the swole professor crazy idea just leave 207 likes um it's it felt like there's a lot of momentum towards the just the just leaves got a lot of likes in there. And there wasn't a lot of people who were in the comments who were like, guys, let's not lay, you know, maybe leaving seems like a, a brash move. There wasn't a lot of people in terms of voicing, even if you were in opposition of what was happening, wasn't like, is leaving, is leaving the option. The overall sentiment in the comments was just leaving. They got overwhelming support um, and going a stitch further saying the IPF is nothing without us is uh, that's bold. But we'll talk about that in a second, what things might look like if the USAPL did leave. Um, and so that was on, that was a week ago. And then the most recent one. Yeah. And, the, and then the most recent one, I mean, it's building upon that. People are asking like, how did this like get passed through as far as voting? 
Um, one of the, uh, the gyms, Eric Bodhorn from TSA runs uh, USAPL meets there. And he's like, we'll be hosting unsanctioned meets unless USAPL can like, you know, fight back against the IPF or, you know, leave and keep their same drug testing. People were, of course, were asking like, Hey, what's going on? Like, you know, if I have a meet coming up, do that, do the IPF approve list apply to it? Like, is there going to be still like, you know, youth nationals, that kind of stuff like that. So a lot of people just saying, it's like, you know, again, leave the IPF. It's terrible. All the work USAPL has done with their drug testing. And that like, you know, this kind of ruins everything as far as what USAPL stood for. And um, so and said, the USAPL and IPF have the most toxic relationship I've seen. <laughs> it's look at me. It's a rocky marriage. It's a rocky marriage, man. And then the most recent, which might be um, probably the juiciest, is just recently the USAPL had shared. Somebody made a post in their Instagram stories, and it's and this is what their Instagram story read. I think a clear majority of us believe it's time for the USAPL to part ways from the IPF. This sport, and particularly your federation, has so much potential for bigger and better things while keeping a true drug-tested playing field than the IPF will allow. Now, on top of that, they want us to abide by this and then the deuce's hands. And the USAPL screenshotted it and reposted it without that lifter's tagging or anything. So it appeared as though that was the USAPL who wrote it. But even then, if they showed his tag and showing, we didn't, we didn't write it, but reposting, that is the boldest of statements yet. And um, it was since deleted, but not before somebody screenshot it, sent it to King of Lifts, and, and we shared it. So here we are. Uh, two hours removed from seeing that most recent post essentially announcing a departure and the USAPL shared it. Now they also deleted it. So that's a bit of mixed signal. Somebody felt, yeah, and shared it, but that's somebody's a volunteer. Somebody else seen it and said, no. So it's not, you know, I want to temper this. I don't want to get too hyperbolic and too like sensational. Somebody in the USAPL saw it and said, no, that, that's coming down. Uh, that needs to be said as well. Gentlemen, off the top, we'll deal with some of these issues that the USAPL has with the IPF. But how real is this do you think the USAPL is going to be leaving after everything I just told you? I think there has to be a lot more things put in place before the USAPL is going to be able to actually leave. Um, there's still a lot of considerations with, again, like the connection to the, to IPF, whether they make gray policy or potential overreach, it's still the prestige of the IPF worlds and that whole pathway system. If there were other feds that had larger worlds and more competitive worlds, I think it'd probably be much easier uh, decision, but leaving the IPF, you kind of, eliminate that inroad to like legitimate world championships. Yeah. I think a, a good chunk of the lifters in the USAPL are probably in the USAPL vying for that hopeful world team spot at some point in their lifting career. And if they're not going to be able to have that opportunity, then I think it opens up a lot more doors for other feds and other lifters to kind of splinter off to federations that are just maybe closer to where they live or, like a variety of reasons. What do you, what do you think, Mike? Do you think this is, 
actually going to happen or do you think this is cooler heads may prevail? Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think it's a serious possibility. You know, like I, I'm not, I don't think this is all bluster, mm. you know, but uh, um, I, I don't, I certainly hope that, um, you know, cooler heads prevail and whatever that looks like, I'm, I'm, I'm not even sure of that, you know, but I, I, look, I know that people who are serious about this have been thinking about this for years and, you know, I'm not probably not going to be the guy to show up and, you know, like in uh, 12 hours later, like come up with something that nobody's thought of yet, you know, but uh, yeah. Do you, do you think though, in terms of the messaging, because it's three posts and then finally today, a repost in the stories, which may or may not have been authorized. So I think the post that showed up in the actual feed was, was thought out beforehand. So we could probably assume, and they stayed up. So we could assume that was discussed and they went up knowing the sentiment that it's creating is further and further rhetoric of leave the IPF. Um, and podcasts are going out saying leave the IPF and people are reposting and, and sharing. So even if we say the story that was shared was by a volunteer, like I taken down, if you take a, a look at how it's been ramping up and they could see the climate is leave. Arian, what do you think? So what I'll say is I agree with Mike that I think this is like, you know, a serious possibility. It's not like, you know, they're just like messing around or anything like that, that I forget if the, the wording was a little bit different in the IPF anti-doping rules about doing like being water compliant, doing water tests that allowed USAPL to do the non-water test. And then do then they, you know, did the water compliant test for out of meat uh, testing for lifters going to worlds. And then they started transitioning more recently to, you know, nationals and the Arnold were doing the water compliant tests and local level was still the non-compliant ones. Uh, so I don't know if something changed because before IPF didn't really concern themselves too much with what USAPL was doing at the local level, where now it seems like they, they want to know and they want to change it all to being water compliant. So it depends on how hard they're going to push and what kind of punishments they're going to do if USAPL doesn't agree on it. So if it comes to something, let's say, first would be the USAPL yearly meeting, which will be at our nationals in mid-June. So then it could come up as a discussion and the voting members could vote on it like, hey, do we leave? And so that could be one opportunity. It's not like, you know, you go on Instagram and just, you know, take off IPF member and you're, you're gone. It would go to, we have to wait till June. It'd be a discussion. There'd be a vote and then some decision based off of that. If the decision is not to leave or there's no vote or anything like that, and they're just going to continue to, you know, play this game with the IPF and see what they do, then it would go to the IPF's yearly meeting, which is going to be at Open Worlds in November. And so at there, there can be some kind of discussion and the member federations plus the EC can vote to remove them as an affiliate. But before that, before removing them as an affiliate, they could do something where like, you know, you uh, basically suspend the nation. Like, okay, you can't submit any, any lifters to worlds until you become compliant, um, which they've done before for other countries that like, you know, had too many failures or were cheating, like, you know, Russia and stuff like that. They basically did not allow them to compete at worlds until they proved that they were going to make a ch changes to their drug testing program. So there's different options of like the timeline and what could happen. Um, but it's, it, I'm sure there's going to be more, more posts between now and that, that mid June meeting. Um, so we'll see what happens. It is. Um, I do think, yeah, things don't happen quickly. Okay. A lot of people seem to think that, um, a little bit of Instagram 
hype and all of a sudden a massive rule change bylaws come into place. And it, I mean, especially on the IPF level where you have every single nation uh, voting on this, a lot of, uh, this is going to be hard for people to hear, but when you have like 130 some odd nations voting, they don't even know who some influencers who are 22 living in the US are. So they don't care as much as you think, right? So, um, but in the bigger scope in terms of, uh, this is talking about other situations where some people like, did this rule get put forth because this guy is going to showdown? You're, that's that's being a little egotistical if you think uh, a social media influencer, you know, is going to be that influential for people who are the other side of the world who may or may not have any idea. But um, on the flip side, to your point of, so I'm just saying that the wheels do move slowly. The IPF, I think, I haven't seen any rhetoric coming out of them yet. Um. So that's encouraging, at least. In ter- if you're, you know, I, I obviously I don't. I hope the US EPL doesn't leave. Right? I hope everybody we end up um, working this out. And I, I am optimistic that it can happen. Let's talk about some of these issues, though. There are issues. Let's talk about some of these issues. Maybe we'll discuss what the concerns are about the US EPL. We'll discuss what probably some of the concerns are about the IPF. Um, we'll discuss how Canada is a nation that's in the good graces by being WADA compliant and um, how they're experiencing it, how they've made it work. Um, And then um, some challenges, because look at it's not an exact one-to-one ratio, scales up, things change, I get it, but it's a perspective nonetheless. And then we could talk about, um, you know, we'll get a little more juicy into it. What if the IPF leaves? What's this this could look like? But let's talk about some of these grievances here. Um, What do we think is the key sticking point? I mean, at first I thought it was the doping, but the last post about IPF kind of having more control in the nation itself seems to be, I think, the biggest issue now. What do you think, Gary? Is that what you're? I I guess if you can, yeah, just just put a overall like you know reason to everything that they're against would be that yeah they they want to have some autonomy autonomy and the IPF. And mainly, maybe they're focused more as Gaston, since uh, Larry and Gaston can butt heads sometimes, is that Gaston wants to come in and say how things should be done. And other countries as well, since the you know, European nations voted against these bylaws and constitution as well, want to have their own say. So that will be, you know, all the stuff as far as, yeah, third-party testing, the TUEs, the IPF approved list, the age divisions, all those kind of stuff. And, and why do you think it's, it's as important for Gaston to have uniformity right into the national feds? I, I mean, as, you know, let's say IPF. Yeah. I mean, as, as far, as far as the testing side goes and people maybe don't understand this is USAPL's mission statement is all about, you know, creating a drug free platform at all levels for the sport of powerlifting. And so the way they do their drug testing, all their policies and stuff like that is for that. And then the IPS mission statement over here is to, you know, get that IOC recognition, get into Olympics to then be able to make powerlifting Olympic sport and get funding for all the athletes and everything like that. So now sometimes those will go in line, but sometimes those do not go in line. And so now it seems to not be going in line because the IOC most likely in WADA came and told IPF and said, all your drug testing has to be WADA compliant at all levels for us to recognize you. So then the IPF comes and tells all the countries that this is what you need to do. And most likely USAPL is the only one not doing it. Hmm. So something, this seems like a good place to interject a little bit of history as well. Like as far as 
USAPL history. Um, USAPL started off as the ADFPA uh, and was not the IPF affiliate. I forget the years on this. I want to say mid nineties, right? 97 is when they became an affiliate. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's getting to be a little bit further in the, in the history books as before my time, but uh, um, lots of people who are in charge of the organization now were around and gr- kind of grew up in the ADFPA days. So it's not like, you know, it's not like the, what we've experienced over the last decade is how it's always been. And people are coming into this with uh, different ideals uh, as far as like what our aims are. Like you Arian's talking about the, the mission statements and that's a really good point. And I would even go as far as to say that, um, well, yeah, I guess maybe that's a good place to, to leave it for now is uh, the differences in, in goals and, and how those things uh, might not line up all the way. You know, mm-hmm. like if you, if you think back to like how you grew up and, and like what some of your deepest values are, you know, if you're, if you find yourself in a situation where uh, you're not living up to that, that's going to be a, a, a serious kind of moment of introspection, you know, and, and if I understand it correctly, when uh, the USPF was removed from the IPF affiliate and the ADFPA at the time uh, was considering accepting that position, there was a lot of internal debate on whether or not the IPF was actually in alignment with, you know, the then ADFPA's mission statement, you know, and uh, there were plenty of people who thought that that was not the move to make, you know, so you could, I guess, if you zoom out and look at it on a long enough timeline, you can see this conversation as an extension of that one. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you're wondering, right? Because this is back in the days where it's the American Drug Free and the World Drug Free Powerlifting Federation, uh, which still exists today, actually. Um, they're now aligned. And this is back when Mark Henry was a powerlifter. And um, he was a USAPL lifter nationally, but internationally, he's a world drug free powerlifter. But yeah, it, it, you're right, 100%. It hasn't always been this way. And I do believe that people are operating in good faith. I don't think anyone's telling themselves, we're doing this to, you know, it, everyone thinks they're doing the right thing. It's just what you consider the right thing, what he considers the right thing might not be the same. Right. So, um, and, and that's 100%. Um, so having said that some of the, some of the points were like, I seen just Jessica Bittner in the comments was saying, um, and, and as a Canadian from the outside, like we are water compliant. So we don't, you know, you I, listen, I had a conversation with someone one time, put it this way. And this guy was from the untested in Canada. And he was trying to convince me that everybody's dirty. And it's at some point, I know you guys have had these conversations with someone else as well, um, where they're just like, no, they're dirty, trust me. And I'm like, they're not dirty. And, um, you know, the whole, I, I, how many times I have to deal with this shit in the comments with like Russell or he look at him, et cetera. And uh, this gentleman was saying, this is at the time when Ray was squatting a thousand pounds. And he was like, there's no way a guy in sleeves is the biggest squat in the world, completely natty. And everybody in the else in the world, including all the world's strongest men who it's all out chemical welfare, aren't squatting as much as him. He has to be dirty. And I'm telling him, I guarantee you he's not 
um, he's not dirty. And I told him, and he's like, there's too much writing on him. He's a poster boy. He can't fail. He's on ESPN. He can't fail a drug test. If you're the one breaking through on ESPN, you're the one that everyone, like I would go to work and everybody's talking about it and it makes like international news. And I'm like, and I'm telling him, and I mean, like I listen to MMA podcasts talking about it. Like, do you hear someone squat a thousand pounds? And I told him, that's not how it works. You don't decide these things. I said, I am in the same federation as him. I was thinking IPF, right? I said, I fill out a form about my whereabouts where I am 24 seven in a third party that has nothing to do with powerlifting that doesn't give a shit about what's best for the sport of powerlifting, what's best for whatever. They have so much bigger fish to fry. They're the same people, you know, for all these Olympic athletes, they're going to show up at any point in time and they will throw you under the rug, just like they threw, you know, whoever else under the rug before, right? Like they don't give a shit. It doesn't work like that. And he's like, you can't tell. So I'm, I'm going off on him. Like, that's not the way it works. And I only to find out that it isn't a third party testing Ray though. And the same people whom Ray has on his back might be the same people testing him. Now, let me be clear. I think Ray Williams is still clean. And I like that's period. But I don't like that. I can't say that. I don't like that. I was lying to that guy. (laughs) I straight up thought it was like we were in Canada. I don't know how I feel about that, but there is more, it's more convoluted. That's just one example. I get it. How there's more moving pieces. Um, but that didn't sit right on that one piece. Where do your guys thoughts on just hearing that? Cause I was rattled when I found out, but I guess for you guys, it's, you always knew this. Yeah. I, I, I'm thinking back and this is something that I'm not hundred percent on, but I remember competing on us national teams and filling out the Adams whereabouts location, which right. was for the IPF. So uh, and I mean, I was OMT. Um, I was OMT when I was living in Italy. So I would imagine that that was not the USAPL person who flew to Italy to, to give me an OMT. So I, 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 this is the point where I don't know. I mean, that kind of seems like an, uh, an OMT that would have been done by somebody not USAPL. And I assume that that's kind of how things could continue. Now, is that the bulk of uh, the testing that happened in USA powerlifting. I mean, clearly not. Uh, clearly it's been done mostly, you know, it's it, the program has been managed by USA powerlifting. So I don't know, Arian, am, am I off base on this? Am I just saying stuff I don't know about? No, I mean, there's, there's two testing pools. So, you know, USAPL has its own testing pool and then the IPF has its own, own testing pool. Just like for, you know, you guys in Canada and CPU, CSIS might come and do a local test on a lifter. And then separately from that, that IPF might come and test, you know, your national team members. So, you know, IPF has their own testing pool that you have to apply for. And then they're, they've been trying to build it up to get to WADA tier one status, which I believe is they have to OMT everyone in their testing pool three times a year. Mm-hmm. But, but before that, they weren't doing as often. Like Mike said, maybe he'd get tested one time in a year from the IPF. And then the rest comes from, from USAPL doing their own. And even before then, like USAPL didn't do OMTs on every single national team member. Like I did 2015 NAPF and I didn't get uh, OMT for it, 
but because of more recent failures in the last five or so years, they've been doing it where they'll OMT every single person with the USAPL testing to basically have their in-house, like, you know, in check before they send off the lifter to worlds. That makes sense. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, be, the biggest thing is the out of meat testing for anyone, uh, what OMT means. And it, um, like, for instance, you know, it's a bit of a black eye for the CPU, but uh, it was before your time, Shane. This is nothing. <laughs> but Kelly Britton, um, he was he was our Ray Williams. He was our poster boy. He was the first guy to squat, or sorry, to bench press 600 pounds. He was chasing a 1,000-pound squat, um, super heavyweight, you know, meddling at every, every year. He was at the World Championships, just a, a phenomenal juggernaut. He was literally, I think he was called, his handle was, the Northern juggernaut, if I'm not mistaken, he was, he was our poster boy. And, um, but the problem is, you know, when you're in the testing pool, again, nobody gives a shit. So they came and they tested him out of meat, waited a couple of days, turned around and tested him again in the same week. And if you think you were fine, cause you got tested and you're like, okay, well, I just got tested. When's the next time I could possibly get tested and you're getting tested unannounced. So it's one thing to, if you're going into a competition, it's one thing to be like, everyone knows, um, for instance, like the UFC at one point was doing their own drug testing. And then they went into USADA and then USADA started doing out of meat testing. And it went from failed tests being like, you know, less than 10% to shooting way up. And they're like, what the shit is going on? But we're, we're catching these guys out of competition when you don't see us coming. And then it's a lot harder to do any kind of, if you're going to do doping and try to beat a test, if you don't know when it's coming. And it's really hard if someone shows up, tests you, and you think, okay, the next time I'm going to see these guys this is going to be for a little bit. And then they turn around a few days later and test you again. And you're like, you were just here. Well, we're back. And you failed the second one. Um, things like that start happening. So um, it gets tough. And when you're in those testing pools, out of me testing pools, so that's why it's, um, those are important. And then obviously the, to do that, you know, you'd have to have a third party, uh, do that kind of testing, but that's just one. We, we, we do have some third party testing in the USAPL. You were saying area, though, it wasn't, is that right? Or am I, am I wrong with that? Yeah. So that the, the IPF would do their testing on our national team members with a third party, but then also USAPL, I forget what year they started doing it more recently has been also doing third-party testing based on what the IPF has been telling them. Cause like I said, this issue has been going on for a few years based on what the IPF has been telling them. So at the couple of last of the capital nationals and the Arnold, they brought the German water lab to come in and do the testing because they were cheaper than using USADA. And so they came in and, and did the, all the collection and the testing and everything like that. Mm, yeah. So there is some third-party testing. It's just not, I mean, so that's why there's hope that, it's not like straight across the board, not. And we're giving some, some ground back and forth, right? So it's not off the table yet. But one of the sticking points though was um, the cost of doing, going full water, I believe, right? M maybe speak on that a little bit because I think this, was, this is a big deal. Yeah, and, and there's, there's two issues to the testing that people have is one that it's, yeah, it's USAPL members doing the collection and two, that, it, that some of the tests are going to non-WADA approved labs. So those are two separate things. If you want to go from a non-WADA approved lab to a WADA approved lab, then the price goes up for the actual testing of the sample, which is what they already do 
for some of the meats um, for in competition, like at nationals, like 1% of is, is like WADA. And then the other like 9% is non. And also like, you know, for the OMTs and everything like that. And Arnold more recently, like I said, it's WADA. Then the separate thing is going from like, you know, me doing the test to a third party person doing the test. And so when you have the third party person doing the testing, then that also increases the price because you have to pay, you know, for their labor and their travel and all that stuff like that. Whereas for me, they might only just be paying for my travel if I'm like driving to someone's house in Florida to test them. Mm. Uh, Arian, have you or the USAPL, like, is there a training program that you guys have to go through to do these in-house tests or are you guys just doing them? Like, can you speak to how that in-house process works? I know the CPU, we used Quest years ago, like before my time. Um, and it was obviously cheaper, but we had issues both for like legality reasons and then the the obvious conflict of interest of having in-house uh, athletes. So I was wondering if the USAPL, do they have like a, like a little program that you guys have to go through before you can uh, like test your in-house? The, the program is basically part of the process of becoming a referee because pretty much every single person doing the testing uh, is a referee. So when you do like, you know, the referee exam, it includes that, like, you know, you have to do 10% testing and information like that. And then also when a, a meat director runs a meet, they get the paperwork that shows how to do the collection and how to seal everything and all that kind of stuff like that, the paperwork. And so then the referee can go through that. And also the meat director can show them how to go through that to do the in meat testing. The out of meat testing is very similar. They've changed a couple of things here and there along the way. Um, like doing the, um, if, the, if it's diluted or not, I forgot what the test is called. I'm blanking on right now. So they sent us the kit and everything like that. But then we also have our out of meat chair that will communicate with the person doing that of meat testing to say like, Hey, I'm sending you the FedEx packet. Here's how to do it. Here's the paperwork, answering any questions, stuff like that. Now you can see how be, it's a hell of an ask to ask a volunteer yeah. to do that. <laughs> Cause there's it, now it's, now it's different with, the amount of money involved with sponsorships, et cetera. Like look at in the early 2000s when there wasn't nearly as much money in powerlifting, it's one thing now. And it's like so much more money with sponsorships, coaching, et cetera. What do you think of Mike? No, man, it's not a, it's not a hell of an ask. You're a referee. You go take a sample. You're in the organization. You believe that people ought to be uh, abiding by the rules. I mean, there's, I, I totally understand the conflict of interest portion of it. And I think that's a legitimate pathway that we can go down. But as far as like, is it, if I'm a referee, do I feel burdened in some way by having to do these tests? Hell no, because I believe in this stuff. Then it's not, it's not a hell of an ask. And if I give you a test, I follow the procedure uh, and send it off. And say I'm testing my buddy, and I send off uh, send off his stuff, and if he fails that test, well, that's not going to be like the disciplinary action is a separate process. And now I, I know what some people may think, like, well, if you're testing your buddy, then you know maybe you have incentive to to fudge the test or something like that. Like, okay, fine, conflict of interest, we can talk about that, but I don't think. It's, it's a specific moral burden to just generally ask referees to do the collection. I mean, would it be better if you didn't have that conflict of interest? Yeah, sure. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just I, gonna disagree with you on that one point. Well, well I think, so what I, I agree with you on that actually. I, when I meant by a hell of an ask, I meant um, 
to ask somebody to do something they're not a professional at, like a, none of us are anti-doping officers working for like the, the protocol. So like, cause they are powerlifting referees. So I meant more, like, I agree with you actually on that. Like if you're a powerlifting referee, you have to judge a squat depth on somebody that, right. And you will step on me. Well, Hey, fuck, I had to red light you. Sorry. No, no. I expect referees to do that. Um, I just meant in terms of step out of what you signed up for to be a powerlifting referee. Now you're also an anti-doping official. And uh, now, you know, that's, that's a little different. And then you, that's might be a question of, um, are you overextending people and asking them to do things that maybe is above and beyond what they sh you should be asking them to do because they're, they don't know the protocols. So if you fuck this up, not because a conflict of interest, but if you fuck it up, because you're not an anti-doping official, like if an anti-doping official from Iwata came in and said, I'm going to sit down and start grilling some of these referees and be like, how are you handling this? Are they going to be like, they shouldn't have put you in that situation. It's not your fault but you're making mistakes. That's what I mean where I don't know. And I'm not, I sh I'm not saying it is for sure, but, but Arian, maybe you know on this, maybe you know, you look like you're going to say something. I, I just want to throw a couple of thoughts in there as well for this part is one, I, I understand we're not uh, anti-doping experts or like that, but it's not that difficult. Maybe it's because I've done a lot, but literally all you're doing is having them pee in a big cup and then separating it out into two smaller cups and then sealing it all up and doing the paperwork. So it's not like it's very complicated to do. And once you do a few and like, you know, it becomes like, you know, memory. I just tell everyone the process, like I have it all memorized and doing all the paperwork all memorized. So it's not that difficult. The other thing, what I would say is that I try and be as transparent as possible with people that want to become referees with the whole process. Like, Hey, you have to take a written exam you have to take a practical exam. Now we have this, the say sport course. We have a background check. You may be doing drug testing. You may be doing Wayne's so that if you don't want to do it, then don't do it. If you don't want to get a background check, then don't become a referee. And also as far as the different jobs of the referee, I mean, you are still a volunteer. You can say like, Hey, I don't want to be there at 7am for Wayne's, but I can come at 9am and referee. And a lot of meet directors will say, sure, we'll take whatever body we can get. Or like, Hey, I have to drive like, you know, four hours after this meet, I can't stay and drug test people and stuff like that. Can you have someone else do it? So, you know, you can, you don't have to do, there's some, probably some people out there have never done the drug testing before. Whereas like in Florida, I pretty much do all the like in meat male drug testing for all the meats. Cause like, I'm the one who sticks around. I'm the one who knows it. And it's like easy for me to do. And then just the, the last thing about conflict of interest, I, I understand it. And, and I agree that there may be some people out there that may try and do something, but that's like one, it's important for the lifter to like, you know, do their part as far as like handling everything and the referee to protect themselves and, you know, not be handling the person, like, you know, sticking their finger in their bottle or anything like that. Like having the lifter <laughs> do stuff, uh, even, even the empty bottle. Cause some people are worried like, Oh, what if I get chalk on my empty bottle and I open up or something like that. And so like, it's important for both sides to like, you know, do their process and protect each other or protect themselves to make sure nothing goes wrong. Just like you would for like, you know, any job. Um, and, and same thing like with weighings and stuff like that. If you're weighing in like, you know, underage person, it's important for the referee to protect himself. But I would argue also, what if we extend and say there's a conflict of interest with me refereeing my friend or me refereeing someone I don't like, and you can affect someone's uh, career or like, you know, their national championship title or lift or a, a lot more with like, you know, giving a long press command or something like that, or like, you know, calling them on depth if it's close. And so now like, okay, an argument can that be made? Should we go to, you know, third party refereeing like every other professional sport does? Well, we do stuff in place, like for instance, at the IPF Worlds, international refs, if it's a world record, international refs, look, we do do things um, to mitigate 
biases like that, that you can have. Like there is like, look, nothing's perfect. This is a good conversation. Like when you see something where you could have conflict of interest, you do what you can to mitigate. So in terms of refing calls, you're like, look, we can't have international refs everywhere. Um, so we'll do it definitely at international competitions. And unless there's international refs, it's not going to be a world record. It's not going to be an international meet. Um, so I think this is where we start getting like, we're not too far apart. It's more like, how do we get in the middle where we're like, we see conflict of interest. What is actually possible to eliminate these conflicts, conflict of interest? So at the world level, it gets a little easier. So like inter refs are completely international. Uh, doping testing is, is third party, et cetera. And then as you get further and further closer to local meets, the, and this is where we're going with this conversation, I think. I think this is like one of the sticking points is um, as you get closer and closer to local meets, it's like, okay, you're not going to have international refs. You're not going to have like, you know, you're going to have, yes, the ref might know you directly, might even coach you, et cetera. Um, but there is, there does need to be standards, right? So I think we're all on the same page with a lot of this. A lot of this. It's just how we handle it. Um, so a sticking point is uh, the third party and the possible conflict of interest, which we all agree, okay, there's a conflict of interest. How great is it? How much of it is actually an issue? We might just debate, you know, maybe it's a big issue. Maybe it's not as big as an issue. That depends, right? And we actually don't have data on how many times has someone fudged a test? I mean, we, we're, we're theorizing. So we can't really get a solid number on something like that. It's just more of an issue. So that depends on the person. Um, but I think we're all operating on good faith that we want to see good testing. And I, I believe that. Sorry, go ahead. And, and I was just saying, and on the IPF side, it, it may go to just like, you know, going back what we discussed as far as like, you know, trying to get recognized by the IOC and what the requirements are. They might say like, we don't care if there's no conflict of interest, like you have to do a lot of tests. And so then it goes back to, you know, the whole mission statement. The IPF says like, sorry, like we don't have an issue with your testing at local level. Like you said, as you're going down, it's harder and harder to do things like unbiased, but we're trying to do this goal and this is what we have to do. And so like, that's their only option. To, uh, to meet the water testing. To I mean, the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'd be, we'd be guessing. I don't know exactly what Gaston's on here to give his beliefs on, on it. So I don't necessarily want to put words in his mouth, but um, for sure, they want water compliance for sure, right? That's the mandate. And they want to be IOC recognized and get in with the Olympics, et cetera. Um, let's talk about the, the money of it. And then I will ask Shane about to talk about how they implemented it um, to, to be water compliant in Canada. But the money was an issue as well. Like the, the, the amount, we, we've seen some figures estimated come out and they seem huge. <laughs> they seem pretty daunting. Uh, do you have those areas? Uh, possibly, yeah, I think I heard to be water compliant, um, the USAPL had guessed possibly $4 million a year. Was that right? Or am I speaking at school? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the, what they mean by that number is if they did the same amount of testing that they do now, which is right okay. now is before the pandemic, somewhere around 500 WADA tests and like 2000 non-WADA tests. So if they want to do like, let's say 2,500 WADA tests, that's what it's going to cost. It's obviously variable too, because it depends on how many you're doing at a, at a meet, because you know, the travel is then going to be the same for the, the doping agency to send the people. And then it's just the cost of the actual test. But like some of the stuff they said was for like out of meat testing is that currently their out of meat testing is $256 when it's done by like, you know, someone like me going and doing the test. And if then, if you go completely third party and the, and 
and the water approval, then it's going to be 1150. So it's, you know, four to five times more for that price. So what I did is I tried to take, for example, the 500 water tests that were done at 256. And I took the 2000 non-water test where meat directors pay about $80. There may be some USAPL cost in there too, but I just took the $80 for now. And then I said, what if we divide that by the 1150 price. So we take what the revenue or the expenses used for drug testing now and divide it by the 1150, it comes out to about 255 tests they can do that way. So if they want to use the same amount of money for testing, then we're going to go from about 2,500 tests to 255 tests. So that's why they're saying, well, we wouldn't be able to do any local meat testing because they'd probably put the 255 tests towards, you know, nationals and out of meat testing. Then what I also looked into is what if we, you know, what if we put more money into testing. So if we double the testing and went to like 600 tests a year and multiplied it by that 1150, you're spending close to $700,000 a year on testing. And if you take some of our membership numbers before the pandemic, then you're spending about 50% of your yearly membership. If you just took it that way, 50% of USAPO membership would just be going towards drug testing expenses. If it just solely came from membership, let's, let's talk to uh, Shane then. Um, they're water compliant and they obviously had to tackle these decisions and how Shane, how do you, how did you set up the, the expenses and, and maybe speak on the water compliance? Well, like the CPU to my knowledge has been basically water compliant for a, the majority of its existence. Uh, just to use like 2019, cause obviously 2020 and 2021 during the end of the world, we don't really have a lot of real data, but uh, in 2019, I can pull it up. So we spent about 90 grand on uh, tests and we had roughly about 300 grand of revenue. So it's, it's, a, it's basically a third of our entire budget is, is doping. Now that sounds like a lot at face value, but in the last, well, in the several years that I've been uh, as the, the president of the APU, which is the provincial affiliate before I moved up to CPU, uh, every AGM we've had with our membership uh, we've always asked because it basically comes down to that the members are going to have to pay some degree to cover these costs. And it was an overwhelming uh, majority that wanted more tests. So when we want more tests, the membership has to go up. So it is expensive, but again, like similar to USAPL, CPU is one of our core mandate is drug-free sport. Um, we obviously don't do in-house. We just do third-party compliance. But uh, in 2019, I, can, I have the stats. So we've done 66 urine tests in competition. We did 56 out of competition urine tests. And then we did uh, 16 in competition blood tests and 22 in out of competition blood tests for a total of about 160 tests in our 2019 year. So obviously it's substantially less than USAPL in contrast, uh, but having WADA basically operate entirely themselves is, I think, a great benefit that I think the USAPL may, they're obviously used to having full control, but uh, from a CPU's perspective, an administrator perspective, I think it's awesome that we just give CSIS money and then they administer it, they do all the processing, they do the selecting, they go and, and talk with the meat directors. They ship the samples. They, they test them. They do everything. And then we just get a report after that would go to our anti-doping chair. 
um, if we had any adverse uh, tests. Is it so? One thing that's jumped out to me: um, blood tests. That is a that's the tell-all. You could do a lot of things with the urine test. You can't do much with a blood test. Like if you're trying to hide something, um, that, I mean, that's a scary one because I, I freaking hate needles, but uh, it is what it is. I'm also not somebody they're overly worried about. But <laughs> From, the, from the, the stuff I've looked into, I, have, I haven't researched it too much, but when they were talking about blood testing a few years ago in the IPF um, yearly meeting, going over like, you know, the different committee reports, they did mention that there's like some benefits to blood testing, but also some negatives. Like it catches some things that stay in the system, but also won't catch some things. That's why, you know, they do the urine test because the urine test can catch things for a longer period. But for things like, I think like, you know, growth hormone and stuff like that, the blood tests have gotten better to like catch it if they had it like, you know, 12 hours ago or 24 hours ago, stuff like that. And hmm. the other thing I was going to mention, that's also a harder thing to do for USAPL is doing that in-house because collecting blood in the u.s is a little bit more difficult you have to have someone who's like a certified nurse something like that in that specific state in order to do it so usapl pretty much does none but the ipf has come before for our open uh, open team and tested i think like you know blaine sumner and some of those people will blood test so this would be where um if you wanted to go the route like look we need to get some blood tests done you wouldn't be able to have your referees because it'd be like Okay, I'm not like I, I wouldn't want somebody who's a powerlifting referee to jab me with a needle mm-hmm. like I'm taking blood. I'd be like, no, you're not. That's uh, that is that's a little too far. You can watch me pee, you can't take my blood, bro. But um, I guess that would be one of the sticking points if they're like, we want to see some blood tests. But you, I don't know if there's you know, I, I mean, I'm trying to problem solve here, but is there do you guys think? a halfway in between on this where you can be, is it possibly water compliant, but also have local level um, urine tests if you wanted to keep up the numbers? Cause like Shane had said, and also like, obviously d- directly looking at numbers is going to be a little different. Canada is quite a bit smaller a nation. Um, it isn't going to be, it's a little difficult and scaling up is different as well. When you scale up, USAPL has more challenges and I have to respect that as well. Like it's not, I know it's not exactly the same, just gives a little bit of insight, but do you guys think it, it is the IPF area Shane, maybe you guys know, and, and Mike, maybe, you know, um, is the IPF open to water? And if you really feel strongly, you can continue doing local meat, um, urine tests by officials that are not water. Is that even a possibility? Or? Uh, to my understanding, no, but just to touch on the local stuff too, that seems to be, like a, a touchy subject right now with UCPL, uh, we're water compliant and we do a lot of tests locally. Like ad, I don't have specific numbers because each province would have their own breakdown, but I could confidently say at, at least 40% of our tests are done locally or in the province. So with USAPL's concern of the heightened costs and then eliminating their option to test locally, I, I don't think that's completely accurate uh, unless there's something i don't know that's uh, on the back end of usapl but from my relationship with wada is we test locally and we do most of our uh, of our testing either out of meat or local so it definitely can be done and a majority of the nations are still doing that Uh, obviously the amount of tests locally would be significantly reduced in comparison to the the 2000 number but if it it won't it shouldn't eliminate 
local testing. Like there is definitely a real uh, risk of getting tested at the local level. Like speaking specifically in Canada, like you go to a local meets and people talk about water, people see the the tester with the clipboard walking around. So even if we only test maybe one or two lifters that meet, uh, we still have a continued presence of WADA at our levels, which I think in itself adds a considerable amount of value to have that like that legitimate official walking around, kind of pointing at people, talking with some officials and just kind of the being there. Um, I think there's a lot of value just in the WADA presence itself. Yeah, what, what, what do you guys think? Is it, um, is it, a, and maybe you guys know more because you're in the USAPL. How is it? Is it scalable? Is it because um, I, I honestly don't know. I, I, I wouldn't know how to try to scale this. I think the USAPL had mentioned in the comments how many meets run in the US. But then on the flip side, like completely, I, I'm not running something like this. But then I'm thinking, yeah, but you got so much more money than any other Fed. So I don't know. Or is it like, for instance, would the setup Canada has not be comfortable enough? As you, as American lifters, for you guys, would you be like, I don't think you guys are up to standard to be, to be drug, to, like, would you not be comfortable lifting in an environment like Canada has? Actually, that's putting you on the spot because Shane's here. You know, that's a shitty question. I'm sorry, that's <laughs> hey, not appropriate. I don't, I don't think it's, a, <laughs> a I don't shit. think it's a bad, I don't think it's a bad question, and I don't think it's anything against Shane or CPU. So, no, no, a, 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 okay, a few, okay, <laughs> a few points, a few points here. One, as far as like having a happy medium. I think that's what USAPL was trying to work towards a few years ago, like 2018, 2019, discussing this was, okay, let's work with the IPF. Let's do what they want for any lifter that's going like, you know, nationals or going to an international meet. And then at our local level, we'll just keep doing our own thing. But it seems like now with everything that's being posted, everything like that, that the IPF does not want that. It's, you know, it's all or nothing. And so you have to do all the water testing. There's no, there's no middle ground, which is why even USAPL talked about a few years ago, what if they did some kind of weird thing where they had two different organizations that were somewhat connected one's local level and our own testing one's national level and like, you know, the IPF testing, how that works. So they were even throwing out ideas like that. Um, two, as far as, um, as far as scalability, it was interesting. USAPL made a comment about it. I don't know how much truth there is to it, but it wasn't something I thought about, about, like you said, how many meets are going on in the U S at one time in one weekend and how many tests they may want to do. So even if you took the, money factor out of it. And USAPL said, sure, we'll put the 4 million towards the testing. And then, you know, USADA then comes and says, no, we can't be in, you know, like 12 different meets in one weekend and testing, you know, 200 lifters. So then there's an issue of that. Like what if there's no availability of the third party testers to do that many? And then as far as what you're saying about the CPU, it's, it's an interesting conversation because I don't think there's any way to know. There's no way to like, you know, analyze this or do research on this is, how much, what percent of your lifters or any athlete in a sport do you need to test in order to be like effective or like a big enough deterrent? USAPL has this 10% number. I don't know who came up with this 10% number, how they figured it out. IPF is closer to like, was closer to 5%. Maybe it's a little bit less than 5%. And then CPU is like, you know, right there, three to 5%. So like, is there that much of a difference between three and 5%? Is there that much of a percentage between five and 10%? to say that like, you know, it's that much more effective. That's, that's the thing. I don't know. And then there'd be, um, then it becomes also like, because you can't have it all. So then you'd be like, do you want 10% 
of this and it'll be like just urine tests, no blood tests, et cetera. Or then it's like, and I, and I don't know because I, this is where the doping expert later on in the next podcast will, will be able to maybe shed some more light, but then even you have tough questions. It's got, it'll be like, you could max out urine tests. They're the, they're cheaper. And then you could go even further by saying, cut out third party and get even more. And, but then you're going on the end of cheaper and cheaper tests. And then you're not going to have certain things like, like blood testing, but then it becomes, um, well, how much, how much do you get out of blood testing? Right. We're guessing uh, like us gentlemen, but maybe this is questions for the anti-doping guy. And, um, it's, it's tough, right? You, sorry, go ahead, Shane. I was gonna say, but blood testing is very expensive too. Um, if we didn't have to do it, we, then we could definitely do a lot more, uh, urine tests, but again, with water code, you have to have a certain ratio of urine and blood tests to be uh, compliant with with our contract. So we like, we have to have blood tests. Uh, so that's definitely consideration. I think like don't I'm not one hundred percent sure, but I think a blood test is around like three k each mm. like Canadian. So it, it's it's not cheap. It, it takes a big chunk out of the the doping budget for sure. That could have been allocated to other other tests. So some of them may also be- go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say that it would be really interesting. I'll be tuning into your, your later episode because like, where do these numbers come from? Mm. I mean, look, if it comes from legitimate, uh, honest, you know, discourse and inquiry, that's one thing. But if it's, you know, uh, a bureaucrat sitting in a back room came up with this number because of such and such the bottom line, then that's, that's a different thing entirely. And I don't know, man, I'm, I'm, a little skeptical at the intellectual rigor that goes into quotas like that. So I'll be, I'll be listening to see if I'm wrong on that for sure. You may, it's a good point that you raise where it's like, yeah, it, it was 10% an arbitrary number was 5% an arbitrary number. Uh, yeah. Because it, it, like at one point when you came up with these numbers, was it, it was only a certain test. Maybe it was only urine is available. And then as technology advances, is it kind of like, well, we've always been 10. So we're holding the line. And then you hold the line at 10, but at the expense of, okay, well, if we're going to hold 10, we have to, we, we can't do this. We can't do that. But then it becomes, um, and I'm not sure I'll ask the doping official. If he's like, if you do fewer tests, but they're pinpoint, like you cannot break one of these tests and you start just going the top end three percent, you just hit three percenters. And a lo- maybe the failure rate starts going up. The amount of tests you do goes down, but the failure rate might start going up. And then a deterrent becomes, holy shit, so-and-so got busted. Holy shit, Kelly Brandt got busted. People start getting scared. Like, uh, it, it, we, and we don't even know if we have numbers like that. This is psychology where I'm making that up. Like, I don't know. In terms of deterrent, now you're getting into legalities of how do you deter people? And is punishment, is it, you know, we don't know. We could guess, right? <laughs> I think there's a lot of value though. Like, unfortunately, like let's say rewind three or four years ago uh, when if anyone is specifically in CPU, if anyone tested positive like three, four years ago, they would get absolutely destroyed on social media. So even just the court of public opinion had a lot of uh, deterrence, I would say for people to try to bend the rules or cheat within a drug tested federation. So even if we're just moving away from like the certain like percentages or ratios of, of testing, I think there's a lot of value in just like the social community Culture. of, of like, if you're clean, then you're clean. But if you test positive 
yeah. I, I know for CPU, there was a, a, an Alberta lifter a few years ago that he had a considerable amount of unfortunate, like hate towards him because he, because he tested positive. Now tested positive, obviously that's not good to be cheating in the fed, but like, there's definitely a lot of, a lot of pressure on the, from the public to make sure that you're clean. And if you're not clean, everyone's gonna, everyone's gonna know about it. So even if we just, you could even include that in some sort of like equation of like, that would be included in what would be that the, the specific number or specific number of tests, and then some sort of like public statement or announcement, or con that's definitely a consideration uh, specific in CPU. I'm not sure if, if USAPL is that raw, but CPU was, was pretty intense. <laughs> a I can attest years ago to, about that. I can attest to some people, I'm not going to name names, but um, some people like left the country now or like in, in, you know, a different country, not just because of that, but it like, they didn't like burn their they house fled. down and they, yeah. they assaulted their children, Mike. And it's no, okay, okay. It wasn't, it wasn't just because of that, but it, it, there, it was bullying. It was full on yeah. cyber bullying. It actually went a little too far where like, I am um, like full disclosure. I, I like water. I like the water and, um, but I also am not the type that if you fail a test, I'm going to, you're written off to me like you're a murderer or something. Like you made a mistake. You serve your time. It's fine. I'm not like people make mistakes. I don't want to like people come back. Like, you fail a test. You can come back and power lift. Like even, even the rules would say that, but people would ask, like talk, like it was crazy. Some of these people, it was full on cyberbullying to a crazy extent where a lot of times people leave and they never come back because what's told to them and thrown at them, the shaming. And I know what you're talking about shame. Cause there was more than one and some of them were high profile. And there was a, there was like a while where like the, some big name people were going under and um, they got fucking shit. It got bad. If you were around them, if you coached them, it'd be like, did you know? Did you, it becomes like, it's bad, man. It's, it, it, it actually, it is a turd. You are scared shitless because you know, if that happens to you, your credit goes to zero. Where some people that happens to you, you leave the fed, go into the untested. All's well, it ends well. If you become a star over there, it's not as bad. Some people are chilling over there in the untested after serving suspensions. And it's almost like, you know, it never happened. So it's not like that for everybody, but. I've noticed that Canadians are very nice until you fail your, their drug test. And then, then they get real mean, real mean. Doggy. But, <laughs> but, but I mean, there's been, there's been repercussions in USAPL too, because they always had the public database. So you can go see everyone who got tested, what meat it was, if they passed, if they failed, what they failed for, everything like that. And then also in the public database, I mean, someone might send it to, you know, like someone else or like, you know, pub post it publicly, or maybe people will just notice it too. So for example, there was a lifter in Florida who was like a retired WWE wrestler who was like a coach, who was a coach after he retired. And he came into one of our meets and he broke like the master's American record bench press and like that. So I tested him and testing him. He's like, tell me the whole time about like, oh yeah, I get tested all the time for WWE, blah, blah. I know the whole process that, that. And so we do the whole testing and boom, he fails. And then a month or two later, these news articles came out that WWE fired him from his job. What? Because, because like, yeah, because I guess, I mean, he failed a drug test, you know, WWE tries to, you know, 
project this like you know image that like you know they're drug testing and their people are natural and stuff like that so maybe they don't want to be associated with that so the guy lost his job because of that and that can happen with other jobs too like maybe let's say you're like you're law enforcement or something like that and you fail a drug test and they find out about it so that can yeah. that can be a deterrent as well um going back to the early discussion as far as the the blood test too uh might be interesting to ask the anti-doping expert when they come on is what what they see as far as the effectiveness of blood tests or maybe if it's more about like you know collecting it as far as the athlete uh, uh biological passport to see the changes over time because looking at the ipf reports that i sent the pictures to you guys too is like no one has failed for a blood test on here like you know uh, as shane said like canada is averaging 23 in the for the three-year average none of them were positive you know germany has averaging 58 a year for the last three years none of them were positive same thing for like Finland and Denmark and stuff like that. So I wonder if it's worth spending that much money if no one's getting caught or if it's something related to, you know, collecting the, basically, like I said, the biological passport that they save it and they look over the years and maybe come back and, and notice things or do new testing and stuff like that. Um, also, yeah, as far as the percent percentage, it'll be interesting because I think anyone in USAPL who's run a local meet sometimes thinks about this. And I've even had a higher up tell me, it's like, do we really need to test 10%? Like you run a local meet and you look around and like, I don't think there really is 10% of people worth testing that I think are going to fail the test. There may be a couple people like, okay, well, I'm not sure about, let's pick them. Every once in a blue moon, you have someone like, yo, this person's probably on something. And like, you know, they're like asking questions and everything about it. You're like, okay, this guy's nervous like that. <laughs> but, but there's a lot of times where I'm just picking people based on IPF points, or maybe they wonder weight class and like that, just to hit that 10% requirement. And some people will say like, well, why don't we do 5%? Like, what, what's the reasoning for doing 10%? Like when you look around and you see most of these people are going to pass the test. If you do, like, if you said, all right, we're showing up at a lot of local meets. A lot of these people have like, I'm going to use Wilkes cause I'm still not used to the IPF points, but if you have Wilkes of like three fifties floating around and you're like, look, we could, we could hit, you know, we're going to be testing three fifties in Wilkes or let's do 5% at the top. And, um, what were these, these people are hitting like 600 Wilkes or whatever, 550 or what in up rate. And you're like, we gotta, we gotta, yeah, focus it more maybe. And let's catch them out of meat. Let's blood test them or whatever the heck. I don't know. I'm guessing too. I'm going to have to ask this anti-doping expert um, to see, but these are, these are questions, right? Um, like obviously the, the IPF has made their decision and it's the, that's where we're at the impasse where they're like, yes, we want that. Yeah. The, the IPF has made their decision, but maybe we can segue into this topic is, are they going to enforce this decision? Right. Because with other rules, for example, the IPF approved list, they've never enforced it for USAPL and other member federations to do it at, at national level and then local level. Uh, some people did transition period. Some people just don't do it at the local level. So they made their decision, but are they going to enforce it? How are they going to enforce it? And what's, what's like the next move for each side? Uh, yeah. What are the repercussions? Like, look, we're all looking at the, because the statements were being so forceful about leaving and people, you know, it's like, I don't know what the IPF's thinking, but are they looking at this? Like guys, you know, with this isn't, this isn't a divorce. This is, this is a dispute. We could, we've had these, I think like Mike T and yourself were saying, we've had these disputes. It seems like for, from the get go, we've always worked this out we can work things out. Like we let's not back away from the table. It doesn't seem like it's a back away. I don't know. What are your guys feelings on this? Is this a back away from the table moment? Do I don't know what Shane, you might even know if you 
if you're, you've had any history of not even necessarily with the Canadian, but if you've seen what are possibilities the IPF might be able to do to help reach a, some kind of a halfway, or is this one of those sticking points where like, look, it's gotta be all or nothing. Uh, like just speaking as like an audience member to this entire situation, uh, I think a lot of it's probably just personalities and there's some strong personalities in the USAPL and there are very strong personalities in the IPF. And I think uh, neither of them want to concede or, and I think that's kind of where this impasse is, is kind of putting the USAPL like, yeah. Yeah. It's Mike, do you think, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think that, um, this is something that can be handled still. Like how can you handle it in an in-between and all parties are still happy or is this going to have to come to a head eventually? Um, I'm hopeful that we can come up with some creative solution that makes everybody happy. But I mean, it does sound like it's, it's, it does sound like the IPF has a pretty clear idea of what they want. And, uh, and what their requirement is going to be. And it sounds like it's going to come back to whether or not the USAPL can, uh, can meet that requirement or not. Now, if they can do it with a creative solution, uh, we'll see if that's even uh, uh, on the table. You know, so far, you know, options that have been presented haven't, haven't really worked out. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, but, I mean, I'm... I'm I'm hopeful because it's it's not a cut and dry scenario, you know. It's it's not one of these things where it's like, oh well, uh, you know, I don't like you anymore. You know, we're out and and things kind of continue on the way that they always have, you know. But it's also important to note that that's true in both of these scenarios. You know, things will change substantially in both scenarios here. So, For both sides, you mean, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I would also tend to, to take the USAPL at its word. You know, if it's if they're saying, uh, look, this spells the end of our uh, local drug testing or something like that. I mean, I haven't run the numbers. I'm not in a position to like challenge them on that narrative. I know some people, uh, you know, would like to do that, you know, I, I don't know, I'm of the mind that if they say that this is the end of local drug testing, you know, whether it's uh, preventable or not, then that's likely what will happen, you know, and I'm, I'm okay taking them at their word on that. And that represents a substantial change, you know, and like with regard to um, WADA, uh, IPF testing, um, you know, it's important to remember that I think there's a lot of USAPL lifters who don't know about that, don't care about that. I mean, from, I'm not a meat director, but from my, what I understand about it, most people do meats that are local for them, easy for them to get to, you know, it's a bonus if, you know, it follows a, a set of rules and guidelines that they uh, like and appreciate. So yeah, drug testing is, is an important thing, but you know, 
how many people are, are really into the weeds on this and making decisions based on that? Uh, I don't know. You know, it, you, we say, well, let's raise the price of a membership and then we can do more testing. Well, I mean, if, if, if that local person goes, look, I don't care about that. I know that this meat over here is cheaper though. You know, that may, that will represent some change too. Yeah. Even if like, like to your point, if someone's like, like at the local level, they're like, I don't care about blood testing. I'm, I'm going to do yeah. this a couple of years and I'm going to leave and I'm never looking beyond, you know, having a little fun and getting out. Whereas the serious people are like, you know, if we're going to be like uh, the Olympics, we, we need to like, we're, we're viewing it like that. So then it becomes like, if you're talking about creative solutions, um, it, I, I don't I have no idea of the feasibility, but this was thrown out there about, uh, I think Arian also touched up on it, but Jen Thompson got a lot of likes when she put it in the comments of, what if we do have two leagues, you know, and one league is the water compliant. Look at if this is what's most feasible to hit that. And, and, uh, Arian was talking about, if you do have it at a local level, if it's like a, under a different organization and, um, if there is a way of being able to split, I don't know if creative solutions like that are feasible or oh, yeah, if this... I like the idea, right? Like, it's like, well, what if we just obfuscate it with another layer of bureaucracy? Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Has that ever failed? I don't know. Yeah. I don't have no idea how realistic that is. But... <laughs> it, it would definitely be interesting if like, depending on how they're connected and like, if there's an executive committee for each one, and so like you have like, let's say USAPL amateur and USAPL pro, but what, like, what if like, you know, the executives in one of them changes or in both of them changes and they're like, nah, we don't want this relationship yeah. anymore. Like, well, leave like, like it's, it'd be a hard thing to like, you know, deal with. Um, and then the other thing for the IPF bylaws and IPF constitution, we mentioned in a previous episode, the whole participating in non-IPF events rewarded is slightly different in each one. And I forget which one it is, but in one of them, it mentions that you can't compete in non-WADA compliant events. And so if the USAPL amateur is non-WADA compliant, it would still continue with that 12-month suspension. So if that is true, then that wouldn't be possible. If it's not true in the IPF, you're listening to this, go look at your constitution and bylaws because they are worded differently for that section. Um, but the as far as like the idea, can this be, I think this can be resolved. Like can it, based on things that have happened so far, like from the IPF standpoint, let's say that USAPL caves in and does everything the IPF asks, then who cares about the Instagram post and like the Facebook post and people commenting the IPF got what they wanted. If let's say the, let's say USAPL leaves and IPF has to come make a new US affiliate while it's not the best solution for them, you know, they're going to lose a bunch of lifters at first. It's going to be hard to build a brand new federation and have lifters come in and, you know, build it back up. But eventually they're going to have another member federation again, which is what they want. And they're going to have a path for us uh, lifters to come compete in IPF. And it's going to be that water compliant testing. And so they kind of get what they want again. So it, 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 for the IPF, it seems like it, it can be resolved for the USAPL. It just depends on whether they want to change their mission statement and what they stand for or stick with it. The other option could be that for some of these people, the higher ups, it depends on whether they want to just give up their stuff and resign. Like some of them have been around for like 15 years. Maybe they see this like as their baby, they've grown this up since before raw lifting was even around and grew up from like, you know, one or 2000 members to now 20,000 plus, and they don't want to give it up. But someone might just say like, it's not worth it. They've been around for decades. They don't want to deal with this anymore. They don't want to be the person that makes the decision and maybe like, you know, makes the wrong decision. So maybe they just say, okay, 
we'll, we'll just back out and let someone else take over that wants to go with the IPF plan. It might, I get what you're saying where they're like, and that would be actually a really big moment. If you were actually like, look at, I feel so strongly about this. However, I can also realize I feel strongly about this, but I'm not going to make, I can make that decision for myself, but I don't know if I feel strongly enough that I'm going to take everybody with me. And that is my legacy now. And then when I leave five years down the road, if you haven't reattached to a global body or a global body of significance of sponsors leave or whatever, that is my legacy. Like it's, it, that's tough, man, because it's a lot easier to make tough decisions like this based off of your own ideas and fundamental ideas there. But it's different to be like, I feel so strongly about this, but my decision will impact each and every one of you. And I'm going to make you make a tough decision afterwards based off of that. That's a, you're right. It could be like, maybe I just say, I'm going to step down and this is why. And um, if you feel the same or whatever, I'm sure you have other options, but I can't put that on you. Like it's tough, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is where like when you're a leader, fuck. <laughs> Yeah, we're, okay. we're, we're, go ahead, Mike. My thought on that is that you've, you're going to have a hard time going wrong by sticking with your values. You know, and an organization like USA Powerlifting has pretty clear organizational values. I mean, like I've been saying this whole time, I'm hopeful that we can come up with some resolution, but I'm just trying to think this through, like from a future standpoint, you know, look, like you said, if the USAPL leaves, there will be another affiliate. Yeah, it throws things into turmoil. I, I personally don't want to deal with a lot of that. I kind of like how things were. But look, if, if that's just not how things go, you're better off sticking, sticking with your values, with what you truly believe in, than compromising that go along to get along sort of path. You know, I, powerlifting is going to be fine, you know, one way or another. That's true. Yeah. Mike, Mike makes a, a good point that if you truly believe in that mission statement and in the values, then some of the other stuff, as far as like how big your federation is, or like, you know, how much Instagram followers you have, whatever like that, like that doesn't matter. If you, if you regress to, let's say 15,000 members, 10,000 members, 5,000 members, but you're staying true to what the organization is about and you're no longer part of the IPF affiliate, part of a different affiliate, then you should be okay with that. If you're just trying to, you know, make the organization as big as possible and like, you know, reach as many people as possible and, you know, have these like big competitions, like going to the world, going into the world games. And then also like the Arnold, and everything like that and Sheffield and everything like that, then you have to then change. Okay. We're going to do what it takes to, you know, stay connected with these and continue to grow the organization as big as possible. But it seems like, from what they're posting and from the execs I know that have been around for decades and everything like that, that they're very big on the drug testing and that's who they learned from when they came into the organization. And that's why, as Mike said earlier, that was part of the debate in 97 of like, should we join with the IPF or should we, you know, stick with our thing with our drug testing that we know. It's tough well, because just to if I can jump in here. Real yeah, quick, go ahead, I, I want to just acknowledge something that Shane said earlier about, you know, maybe, maybe this might not be the hill to die on. Like we're talking about, uh, you know, sticking to your principles and, and yeah, that 
you should do that as a general way of being, but that doesn't necessarily mean that means to leave the IPF, right? There might be a way to stick to your principles while uh, continuing uh, in this affiliate relationship, you know, and if there's a way to do that, then I think that would be great. Um, but, you know, whether or not that this was, is the, the hill to die on is probably the, the, the main question. And that's kind of what, like, what I kind of see from the CPU perspective is like technically the core value of drug-free sport is still a tenant in the IPF. It's just the USAPL would have to no longer test in house. It's not to say that the USAPL will no longer test. They'll test just water tests. So you're still using those tests and that branding and that drug-free environment. It's just how valuable does, do the members, do the administrators see those 2000 in-house tests? If those in, 2000 in-house tests is the, again, if that's the hill that they want to die on, then I think that's, that's their decision. And then you kind of just have to move forward because like from where I'm sitting and just the discourse on the social media. And so I don't, I don't see IPF changing their decision. I think it's going to be the USAPL is going to have to make that hard choice uh, internally and go from there. Like the IPF is pretty clear that WADA has to be tested nation globe like nationwide and and globally so yeah well i think a lot of that might come back to like okay so how important is the the number of tests being conducted it's probably not the number but if i put myself in like a usapl administrator shoes it's probably the level you know if it really does mean the end of local testing yeah that's that's probably a problem uh, a more existential problem um, but, you know, if, if it's like, well, no, we can think of ways around that. We can still test at the local level. Maybe it's just not as much, you know, that seems materially different to me than, you know, completely not testing at a local level anymore. That's, and that's, and that's exactly what, what you had, what you had said, what both you and Shane had, had touched up on is um, kind of the, t- the tough one that I was, I was wrapped, trying to wrap my head around. It, it is when they were talking about if I got to compromise my values, I'd rather leave before I compromise my values. But as a Canadian lifting in water, um, I don't feel like, like I'm, I'm a guy without values in terms of drug testing. Like I feel very strongly about our drug. So that's where I'm like, believe me to be water compliant from my experience doesn't feel like, cause I've seen people get completely railroad, like our biggest of stars just go down from water. And it's not like, well, I feel like this is an undrug tested environment. I feel like the opposite. Like they, you, you know, don't mess around. So then, um, so I don't feel like it would be that, but then if it's, so this is where I find it interesting when the USAPL has, I'll use the term rhetoric, but it, cause it feels ramped up when it's like, we will no longer have, you know, this kind of testing. And that's where like, where Jessica Bittner's comment and we were kind of like, but how so if you were, if you were going to, if you're using it to get people to feel like, like, for instance, if you're like, we couldn't do 10% and still like, and meet those numbers. And then, you know, if you're, it depends on how you're working the numbers. And again, it comes down to feasibility. None of us are going to be in that position. So it's really tough, right. To hop in there, take a look at the numbers, take a look at the budget and be like, well, here's what we could do locally. Here's what we could do at the, uh, 
inter, you know, regional level, and here's what we could do nationally, and then IPF jumping in at the international level. And are we comfortable with that? I, you know, I just don't, I'm not sure how, like, unless the USAPL is saying we'd have to pull back too much on the top end to cover the local end. So it's not worth covering the local end. We might as well go heavy on the top end. You know, I just don't know how those decisions are made. We, I think kind of like you said, Mike, we're just have to, either you want to take them completely on the word that there will be no more local testing. Or if you're like, I, I you know, I can't help but think like you, there's got to be a solution where you could do, you could do local testing, but I'm not going to be able to offer that to you because I don't, you know, I'm not in the reins of it. None of us have really had to deal with this, but uh I, yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question that goes back to where does that 10% come from? You know, like if, like what Aaron was saying about kind of internal dialogue, like, hey, why are we kind of wasting tests on people that we think are going to be fine? You know, maybe those tests are better utilized uh, somewhere else. And I mean, I know that we're targeted about it. And, and to some extent, you know, it's training volume, right? Like you can't always make up uh, for quantity with quality. Um, sometimes you, you just have to do more, you know, so where's that line? I mean, well, none of us know. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're not anti-doping experts. That's for sure. <laughs> we'll see what your expert says, but it might be, I mean, technically it's probably impossible to know because you don't actually know who is natural, who's not to be able to, you know, back test it. So, you know, there may be someone out there like if you're using Wilkes for the 300 Wilkes, that like, you know, was using, we just never test them because we didn't, we didn't target them and stuff like that. So you're never going to, never going to know. Uh, but also there may be some other options where like, let's say for example, if, if, if USADA or whoever they end up using can scale it over time is maybe you start off with no local testing and then you start increasing expenses here and there. You increase like, you know, the local meat fee, you increase the membership, you increase different numbers here to then slowly start building up the local meat testing and like over time progress and get it back to as close as possible what it was before. The, the other thing, as far as like the decision-making process for those making the decision, which I might be one of them since I do technically have a, a vote at the meeting is that if you think about like different decisions, it's like, if you leave the IPF, high probability you're gone forever. You're done. Like, it's not like, okay, we well, leave for a year or two and like, oh, sorry, we screwed up. Can we come back? Whatever. Like as far as us is concerned, it was like, you know, AAU, USPF and USAPL for the last where 50 years, 60 years, whatever it is. Um, so you leave another affiliate comes and you're basically out forever. So then it's over on the flip side. If they talk to IPF and like, you know, talk to them about what their plan was and you know how they can make this work out and how close they are to this IOC recognition because some are saying like, oh we're so close like is that true or is it just like the same thing they've been saying for years is maybe you're saying okay we're willing to go down this road with you and see how it goes so you can possibly always switch your drug testing back if you know for five years you do this new testing and it's not working and the IPF hasn't gone any further and they're just telling the same stuff then you can say like listen we're going to go back to our, our testing because like you know we tried it out your way and it's not working we'll go back to our way so it's possibly like that where you can like give it a shot rather than just like, you know, leaving, like, you know, everyone's just saying, leave the IPF. I don't think they realize that like, you know, there's no going back. It's over. Well, the, right. let's, let's move into that conversation. But before we exit, I do like that you said, and this is also something that probably the higher ups have, have thought about on both sides. It's like, it might not be an overnight. It might be like, look at right now we can't, but 
it, and this often happens where it's like, how do we get on the same page here? Is it, is this a five-year plan? Is this a three-year plan? Um, how can we meet? We can meet in the middle here. What, what, what do we have to do to reach the compliance? Because I'm sure other nations have also dealt with these kind of things individually, right? Where USCPL is the biggest nation and um, gets the biggest focus. So yeah, maybe we're trying to come up with a solution right on the spot right now when it's like, look at what can we work with? Let's 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 get an arbitrator in here. Let's uh let's make a three five year plan of what is feasible. What can you do, um, and what can be easier to to reach these goals? And how can we help you reach these goals together? If you're working together, it's going to be a lot easier over a period of time. If it's, I'm not going to work with you on a solution right now. It's going to be tough. But um, I mean, I'm sure a conversation has been going on forever as well. They might be like, look, we've been on this five year plan, right? <laughs> Who knows? We're filling in the blanks here. Um, but let's talk about how were you guys doing for time first off? Because we spent a sugar load of time on that first one. Are you guys okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Let's talk about it. Just for the hell of it, let's say the USAPL leaves the IPF. Okay. First off, me and Arian are no longer friends. <laughs> Just <laughs> By rule, we're not allowed to be. <laughs> by, by rules, yeah, not by me, buddy. I love you. I love you, buddy. But it's uh, it's it becomes a dark little secret. Okay, we do. We do. <laughs> it's funner that way, buddy. It's funner that way. Um, but uh, no. So let's say the USAPL leaves. What are some scenarios? Because a lot of people in the comment section were like, "This is cut and dry." And I really do feel like they believe a divorce is like, you take a look at the house you live in. We divorce, you're not living in this house, <laughs> okay? And take a look at your income. We divorce, I'm gonna take a chunk of your income. And um, what I mean by that is like sponsors, lifters, like as soon as you pull the trigger on leaving, for sure a new US affiliate will come. You have to be realistic to think not everybody is going to be bleeding heart leaving with you. Um, let me take a look at the poll here. I ran a poll. I, I was kind of surprised in that my assumption going in was that people that had been around in USAPL longer, like the veterans, would be more likely to you know stick with USAPL values and stick with USAPL if they left. And I thought more newer people would be like you know all about the IPF and want to stick with IPF and they would go to the new affiliate. But from the comments and, and all the stories and like that, there's a lot of new people out there too that are just like, you know, screw the IPF. I would stick with like, you know, a USAPL if they left. Though, as we've discussed uh, offline before or uh, off the podcast is that there's no repercussion for them. They might say, you know, screw the IPF, leave. Maybe they try out the, the USAPL without it being the IPF affiliate. Then they see what's going on over there and maybe they want to jump over. Yeah. So maybe they're saying something now, but I was a little bit surprised at how many newer people would go with USAPL if they left. I honestly am not surprised. I'll tell you why. Brand loyalty is extremely low for certain demographics and, and for certain people who are quick to comment. Um, these will be the same people who a few months earlier were like, fuck the USAPL. I'll never lift with them again. And it's a joke. And then um, three months later are like, leave the IPF. Uh, do you got our back? Because you were going to leave us. If, if we leave a year from now, if things don't turn out the way we wanted it to, or if it's a rough patch, are you the type that's going to be see us through with that rough patch? Probably not. Um, so the, those crowds that are most vocal, younger crowd, it's the older crowd that will, like Mike was saying, the hard value crowd will be like, 
my values are what my values are regardless. I think you also touched on that area where I don't care the size. I don't care whatever. I'm going to go with this. Um, that's different. But there is a very much like a vocal crowd that will ebb and flow. And um, you, I, I think the USAPL and IPF both know you take those comments with a grain of salt because they will very quickly, whatever's in vogue, you know, he'll be like, well, Sheffield's on. Uh, Sheff- we have to go to IPF World for Sheffield. Sheffield looks super cool. And I'm sorry. But sorry. Some, <laughs> some powerfuls just want to watch the world burn. Right. And some people are like, leave them, blah, blah, blah. And then if things don't work out, you're like, well, I can exit. You guys are fucked. Uh, what can I tell you? But um, the poll, if you're interested, as of now, and the poll's only a few hours, uh, you know, four hours old, but to I the, the question was, if you are an USAPL lifter, again, some people might be voting that aren't USAPL lifters, but if you are a USAPL lifter, are you staying with them or are you going to the alternative? And the alternative I put, I just was either the new IPF affiliate or USPA. So you're either going to stay, because my question, my, I wanted to know what was going to happen to the USAPL. Now it's an Instagram poll. And people will judge, again, some people want to watch the world burn. Some people take it for, it's, you know, okay. But it's USAPL got 54%. IPF affiliate or USPA got 46%. Um, how that's going to split up between the USPA and the new IPF affiliate doesn't really matter. My interest was how many people are going to ride with the USAPL if they decide to leave? I don't know how to make of those numbers, but I do feel like you're the silent majority if you read the comment section, you won't be popular. If you're like, I think I'll go with the IPF affiliate. <laughs> you're probably going to be, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and just, <laughs> and just not because all the- <laughs> I mean, I didn't vote, but uh, uh, interesting, an interesting variable in this, as far as like, you know, the voting and how people are deciding is one, if they build a new affiliate from the ground up, it's not like you're going to have 400 meets a year across the whole country and you can go this new affiliate. There may be like, you know, one in Florida, let's say one in New Jersey, like none on the West Coast. And some of those people are like, well, I have no option. So I'll just go USAPL, USPA, RPS, whatever like that. On the flip side, as far as USAPL, you know, like the, the divorce, you know, some people may go with USAPL, some people may go to the new affiliate. And so what if some key people from USAPL switch over, just like when I think it was USPA had a meet director create his own fed USPC and he started running all the meets over there. And so now you lost a key meet director. What if you lose some key USAPL meet directors in certain states? And then on the flip side, those people that want to go with USAPL, again, don't have an option. And so like, you know, the new affiliates, the only option are state plus some other federations. And so the interesting variable is like the timeline. Are we saying immediately or are we saying once everything's back to being developed with the new affiliate? Well, uh, that's kind of interesting. And something I wanted to, to kind of ask you guys about. So there's there's some of the logistical concerns that are like, um, you know, are the meets near me, you know, relative expenses and things like that. But over time, um, especially among, you know, the more diehard groups, the people who are willing to travel for competitions and stuff like that, I get the sense that where the top talent goes, so goes the rest of the membership. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm basing that off of intuition, really. Uh, but what do you guys think about that? 
I agree. I I think that was one of the considerations that I was going to say as well is I think a big determining factor will be the competitiveness. If you are nationally or world competitive, you're probably more likely to stay with the IPF because if you're a top level athlete, I would assume, again, this is just generalizations that your goal is to be a world champion. And if that's the pathway is to go through the IPF, then maybe you're going to have to set some ideologies aside and focus still on the IPF. Um, if you're maybe more of a hobbyist and, and you have a little more room to just like, I just want to compete on the weekend. It doesn't really matter where it is. If it's USAPL, USAPA, whatever, then I think you'd see a little more separation there. But yeah, I, I agree with Mike, like wherever the bulk of the competitive athletes go, that's probably going to, going to shift the main focus and kind of justify what, uh, pathway ends up uh, being followed. I'm going to touch on that in a second. I'm going to go quick division by division. Cause there's this, this bothers me as a Canadian. Okay. But um, when I watch the U S Ron nationals, the commentators are like, you know, it's actually harder to win U S Ron nationals than it is the IPF worlds almost. And people, sometimes it is. Okay. Sometimes it is, but they, it's said as though, like it's top to bottom fact. Some people even say top to bottom and we're going to go division by division and start talking about like what certain classes look like. Not super in depth. Don't worry. Okay. But that's a, somewhat of a misnomer here. The U S especially in the raw is yes, they would win the team points, but it's not like people think. And I don't know if it's because um, some people aren't looking beyond the U S if you're in the U S and just don't know, like for every Jonathan Keiko, there is an Anatoly in Ukraine. Or for every Sam Calhoun, there's a Gara in Italy with a fraction of the followers who's the world champion. And Anatoly's the world champion. For every whoever's the 57 kilo in the US, there's the Canadian world champion, um, Maria T. And it's like, yeah. it, it, there's like, um, you know, if there's a Jessica Bittner and an Angelina from Russia to populate the 76s. And like, um, you know, I just think like, sometimes people think like you, you know, for every, for every Russell or he, his highest competition to date, his biggest rival, and I got to tell you, Mike T isn't Sean Noriega. He's got to battle Brett Gibbs. You aren't the world champion. If you don't beat Brett Gibbs, you don't beat Sean in avoid Brett, Brett and you are one in one, you know, you, you like, that's your biggest rival. It, Sean's phenomenal lifter for sure. But to say that, um, there isn't things that's going to miss to like some people actually go as far as to say, like we, we could, we're the best top to bottom. It's harder to win us raw nationals. That's like, that's, that's an ignorant statement that bothers me. I would, I will say the U S is the number one U S nation. USAPL is the number one federation pumping out stars. I'm with you. If you stop there, I'm with you, <laughs> baby, I'm with you. But if you say, uh, top to bottom, that isn't what it looks like. The 52 kilo world champion is Joey Namani from UK. Look, I'm going on and on here about how many world champions presently are outside. I mean, Dennis Cornelius is, I think is, is a uh, San Kovac Kokak from uh, Turkey who hit a nine sixty oh, yeah, or 70. Like it's, it's insane. Deal with him. It's um, you know, the, the world's a big place, man. So when people talk like this, or I hear things like that, it, it does, it doesn't look good at a world stage for the rest of the world when they're watching the comments, when they see like, they're nothing without us, we're every, we're, it doesn't, 
look like you guys think it looks if anyone's hearing this if you're making these comments like it's not coming off the way you think it's coming off and um frig man it's disappointing it's, it's also it's short-sighted yeah. you know it, it's short-sighted like it, it's it's like even if you have you want to think about like one lifter who is super dominant right now give it a couple years man like people have a way of showing up and people that you didn't expect people you never heard of before you know it, it changes and i mean it it changes not just on an individual level but on a national level too like yeah the united states has been crushing it at, at like the team points at the world championships the specifically the the raw world championships but it wasn't always that way you know, Raw hasn't been around forever. Uh, and look, if you go to the equipped side, it's it's still not that way. Well, I mean, there's a whole other discussion there. But you don't have to go back that far before things look different. And things can look different. Again, things look different on an individual level. Like go back five years and look at the, the roster of people who were competing at the World Championships five years ago. And you'll see a completely different list of names, you know, and just the way that it is now is not the way that it's always going to be. Yeah, I agree. I think a sleeping giant too is IPF did sign China. So when China is ready to rock, uh, everybody is going to have serious problems. So USAPL is rocking the raw division now, but when team China comes on that platform, I think there's going to be a lot of changes (laughs) that is going to shake up the entire like roster of a, a pile of I think that's kind of forgotten to like China's on its way. So <laughs> the world's a big yeah. place. But yeah. when you talk like that, it's, it's, it's disappointing. And um, to Mike's point, if you think about the 72 kilo class, like sure. Uh, even when what, like uh, it was Kristen Dunsmore, actually, I was about to say Kimberly Walford historically before that's Kimberly Walford. But when you go to the IPF world championships, how was the 72 kilo class that Kristen Dunsmore won? And how was the 72 kilo class at the Worlds when you had, you know, Jessica Bittner, Isabella Von Weisenberg, Kimberly Wolford, um, Evangelina from Russia? I mean, you killers, man. Like, that's yeah. the world. Like, into to uh, Mike's point, people, po- like the world population in terms of talent pool, people could come out of nowhere. You cut that off and pretend that the US, like, they're nothing without us. We have all the talent. It's harder to get through the US than to win the world's like. I remember the battle of the 105s at the world championships and you, you couldn't see that at the, at the American level. You would have Bryce versus um, Garrett Blevins, but it's a whole nother enchilada when you went to the worlds and you had Christopher's Becky, um, you had like, you know, screamer, you had whatever year we're talking about. It's there are people coming out of Poland who are like versus Becky's is one of the top five most established resumes you're going to find multiple time world champion in 93 move up to 105 won it meddled up there like there and i bet you there's u.s lifters who are like 23 years old who are like just leave lol who don't even know about it, don't even know who he is and it's like i'm glad you're not making the decisions because you don't actually know what you're saying you don't know what you're saying kid and um when you say things like that it's like oh man and uh to the point of if the usapl was to leave now okay you leave and there's always an influx. Like Mike said, five years ago, the top people looked all different. In five years' time, when new people enter divisions, when new people enter powerlifting, and they're like, 
what is the biggest federation globally the IOC recognize? I don't have any rap. I don't know who the influencers are from yesteryear. I don't care. I don't know who the previous champions were. I don't care. I don't care what the US, I didn't even know what the USAPL was. I'm entering, and this is the biggest federation globally. They're with the IOC, the whole nine. And then there's this other fed who they run national level meets, but they don't have anything beyond that. They probably will have shrunk from what we know now, sponsorships, et cetera. If you're totally brand new walking in or five years from now, the new federation that's IPF affiliated is entirely up and running and they have all the big sponsors, et cetera, and the money flowing. And they're like, you're making decisions. It might be different. Like you got to think when you leave, you're going to lose lifters to USPA and the new IPF affiliate. You're going to lose sponsorships. You will. People think like, look at our nationals. That's the big show anyways. That's not going to be your nationals in three years. That's, your nationals is going to look like that. You know, like it, 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 you're picturing it. Nothing changes if you leave, but a lot of it will. And um, that's where I'd be fearful to be like, frig man, I don't think people are thinking this through. Yeah. <laughs> There'll be repercussions. And, I, and, I'll, I'll try to, I'll, I'll do my best to, to give like some fair representation to some arguments that I've, that I've heard here and uh, okay. probably won't fully do it justice, but here we go. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah, right. You, you can't expect it to be the same. And I think we've done a, a good job of like highlighting the competitiveness that occurs at the world level, at the IPF world level. And that that's not the same. And at a minimum, even if it, even if you do have really stiff competition at the US national level, there's more really stiff competition at the IPF world level and competitors like that. So that's going to be a draw, you know, but if you are in a situation where the USAPL says, hey, we're out, I think strategically you've got to move quick because it is going to change and you've got a, a shrinking window of opportunity there that you've got to establish whatever it is that you're about now and appeal in you've got to find a way to appeal to top talent uh, in a way that can compete with what the IPF world championships is offering. You know, so I have heard some ideas being thrown around about like trying to uh, recruit talent from outside the United States and, uh, you know, basically turning USAPL into a more international organization um, and possibly making use uh, with money that's not being spent on the IPF. And I don't really know uh, like how much money we're talking about there, but I mean, those are, those are good ideas. Uh, I mean, I'm, sitting around the campfire just uh shooting the shit at this point like there's nothing really behind it uh, that's okay as far as what i'm bringing here but um, no you know what that's what we're all doing anyways let's be like, honest i mean I, that's what you would have to do though right like if you just say let's you know hey we just just had this traumatic breakup let's just sit with the status quo for a year and let things cool off well you've you've lost the momentum at that right. point yeah no yeah. You, you're right you Sorry, uh, I was just going to say, you're right. You better move quick and you you probably should, you better, you probably have ideas right now of an affiliate you're going to lock horns with internationally. And um, the the IPF probably as well as 
already has ideas about an affiliate. Uh, you would assume they're both like that. I don't think either side is going to be like, make a decision without too many ducks in a row, you would hope, for God's sake. But well, uh, that, That's the other side of this, right? Like, it's not just, hey, come up with some really great idea to attract top talent. It's do that while you're also fighting off this other affiliate that's coming up, while you're also fighting off USA, uh, excuse me, the IPF uh, and whatever they're doing to try to counter that because they don't want that. You know, it's it's not a cut and dry situation from an organizational leadership standpoint. It's it'll be tough, and you got to think if you leave, like, you know, you're making you're making lifters, sponsors, and everybody start choosing, so it becomes you're you're both vying for the lifters and sponsorship money. You're both going to vie for that. Um, and you can't have it all. I think some people think you maybe, you, you, I mean, you're not going to have it all. So yeah, it's all of a sudden, frig, that's a tough, rough first year. You're, you know, you're like, woo. And then there's the USPA that's going to be like, anybody not having fun anymore? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and they'll be there. That's where the enemy of my enemy is my friend, where it's like, um, you know, it's one of those deals. Where, right. Like, the, I think from, uh, the IPF standpoint, it'd be like, as long as the USAPL is weakened, you know, that's whatever it is, what it is. Cause USAPL at a full power is, is, is a big monster in America. Um, but uh, yeah, that's tough. What were you going to say, Arian and Shane? I think both of you guys had ideas, but. Just throwing in my uh, two cents on the international competition. Yeah. Some of those people that make those comments don't know better, but I think some of them do. And I, and I think it's a little bit disrespectful. Like, I know people focus only on the raw and only on the full power, but even just going back to 2019 worlds, like USAPL lost four women's weight classes and four men's weight classes. So it's disrespectful to like, you know, joy and Maria and Kimberly, Jezza, Fedisienko, all these people like that to say like, Oh, USAPL is dominant. They win every single weight class. It's all about nationals. As far as the national level, Mike makes an interesting point that some of the lifters have said before just like in general, when they butt, butt heads with USAPL saying how, like, you know, the, the lifters are what makes the Federation, the lifters are what like, you know, draws the attention of the Instagram views and the YouTube views and getting spectators there. Cause the spectators are all like, you know, friends and family anyways. And so they're saying that like, you know, the, the lifters are being mistreated when the lifters are the ones drawing in all the revenue and all the attention. So if they're going off of that idea, they should think you thinking the same thing that if a new affiliate's formed and let's say like, Taylor Atwood and Russell Orhe and Ray Williams and, you know, Kristen Dunsmore and Marissa Inden, all of them switch over to this new affiliate that over time, current and new powerfters are going to switch over to that affiliate because they're the ones drawing the attention. So that that's like a, 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 a variable that I have to look into is, yeah, what if you, you lose your key people, you lose some key sponsors, maybe you, you lose some referees as well. You have less referees now to run these events. The IPF runs all the other Arnold events. What if like, you know, the IPF comes in and takes in the, the Arnold in Ohio. And so then you're losing all these things. And then, uh, for example, um, USPA yeah, comes in here and says, okay, yeah, you guys can come over here as well. We got all these, you know, pro meets, we're getting all this prize money, everything like that. And so what Mike is saying, you better come with a plan. And so I know a lot of people are trying to make a decision already, but like when people ask me, I go, I, I don't know how, how, what I would do personally and how I'd vote because I need to hear from Larry and Johnny first, what is the plan? If you want to leave, what is the, what's the goal? Are you going to make you yeah, an international body and, you know, bring people in and give them prize money and do all this stuff like that to try and keep your members? 
Um, or is it just going to be like, oh yeah, let's just, just keep running our, you know, our local and national meets, not be part of an international federation and hope the members stay. That's definitely a consideration I think is overlooked on Instagram is the complexities behind the scenes of separating. Like this would not be just a quick signature and an email. This is probably six months to a year of policy change, administration change, like significant legal costs. Like it's, I don't think it's as easy as just, uh, you know, buy IPF because we're we're not happy. Um, So I think that's kind of uh, forgotten, but yeah, I I don't know. I think with, with this situation is if the USAPL leaves, like the IPF will scoop up a USA affiliate really quick. And if it's not a fractured part of the USAPL, or if it's just a completely new fed or an already existing fed, like the hole is going to be filled quick. And like, like Mike said, you guys, it ha- there needs to be a plan. There needs to be some like calendar of events. There needs to be some framework of records, some framework of, of how to excel at international, or if you're going to keep it in America, how is that going to look? Is there going to be a pathways from local to regional to national? Like there's a ton of moving parts, especially creating a fed from scratch. That sounds like a massive undertaking. And I think that like, that's definitely a big consideration that I'm sure the administrators have already considered and have probably touched on some points, but it's definitely a lot, a lot more difficult than just, than just buy IPF. (laughs) Well, the the way that you communicate that is going to matter a lot too, right? Like if we're, if we're all pretty much in agreement that like, Hey, you need to retain top talent if you want to have long-term viability then you've got to communicate at the drop. You've got to communicate a a compelling vision. You know, this is why you should stay because, oh, by the way, we've got these, uh, there there exist these non-competition clauses essentially where, you know, people are going to have to choose one or the other, you know, coaches are going to have to choose, lifters are going to have to choose. So yeah, for me to choose, I need to, to know where we're going and I need to have something to believe in that I think that this is going to be successful because there's a lot that you're staking on it. Uh, biz- what's your business plan beyond exactly? Right. Yeah. You want me to buy in on the business plan. Um, and there is like, like there's a lot of infrastructure already laid in like the USAPL. It won't USAPL have some infrastructure, but they're going to lose some. And the, the scary thing is they're posting and the IPF sees them coming. Like the, the rhetoric is getting higher and higher. They, they see you coming. So you got to think they do have plans. I would assume this, they're not going to totally be caught off guard. So the, the scary part would be, what are you going to lose from the USAPL? And this is where a lot of people aren't even talking about. They're just picturing USAPL leaves and we all stay the same. No, you will lose some key people like Arias saying some key meet directors and some key states. And they might already be getting offered some plans. Like, look at if, if, a, if a new affiliate comes up and, and it's offered like you, sir, who had been waiting a long time under Larry's thumb. Well, this is the chance. And certain key people, I'm, not, I did, I'm looking at you, Mike. I didn't it literally <laughs> not, mean you. Not but, me. <laughs> but, uh, it's Arian, okay? I'm just going to say it, guys. It's Arian. Arian told me he's a turncoat. And you got to watch him, Mike. You got to watch don't him. Don't spread those lies. <laughs> no, but, um, but, um, but I'm saying they will, for sure, there are some key people that will probably, like lifters, but also people in the infrastructure of the USAPL who are going to get some sweetheart deals, I'm sure. You'd be crazy not to. And even like 
Sheffield, it's easy to do this now. We're in this year. Maybe Worlds doesn't happen, so it feels like this. Once the IPF Worlds rolls back and SPD Sheffield happens and um, like these type of the money's flowing on the IPF side where you have a massive money meet like that, you know, because the world isn't going to stop because the USAPL leaves, a new affiliate will come. And then maybe even by the time Worlds, if Worlds doesn't happen and the USAPL leaves now, it gives that affiliate time to build up for the next Worlds and then Sheffield. And then here we are. And now people are looking at like anyone coming in the interim, you have to deal with that competitively where it's like, well, who am I choosing? Structurally wise, these guys have a massive federation with extreme amount of talent spread worldwide. Your international representation is probably going to be very bare bones compared. I don't know who you're going to align with, but it's not going to be the same. And then Sheffield coming in and, and that kind of like an event of, at the end of it is uh, like it's it was the buzz when it actually happens when Sheffield actually happens it's going to be very exciting um and it is going to happen believe me COVID lockdowns is not going to happen forever that's big and the USAPL is not going to have like answers for that right off the bat they have the U.S. Raw Nats but the U.S. Raw Nats here's another thing the U.S. Raw Nats is going to be considerably different <laughs> so when people see that it's going to feel different and people are going to be like okay this is the new, this is the new it's a, uh, even that's just domestically, not even like looking at it internationally speaking, you know, the new, we're no longer a part of that party. Um, so freak, man. And that this brings this to probably mind, like, would be a window earlier. of opportunity. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying that that brings to mind your comment earlier. Like if you do have a, a U.S. nationals, it looks considerably different. It looks more like, you know, 2014, 2013 U.S. Nationals, and uh, how many of the people who were advocating for leaving stick around at that point? They think, yeah, this is the right move. I'm staying here based on principle rather than taking taking my talents elsewhere. But some people may want to be contrarians in whatever's trending. Fuck the USAPL. Nah, well, fuck the IPF now. Well, no, <laughs> fuck these guys now. And then two years later, Sheffield's hot. And people are crushing it at Sheffield. And new people freaks enter in the next two years. Where did that guy come from? And he's crushing it at Sheffield. And people are forgetting about you because you're lifting at a Nats that looks like 2015 Nats, where this other guy's lifting at Sheffield that looks like ESPN. And people see your Instagram video meet recaps, and it looks like 2015 Nats. And people see his recaps at Sheffield, and they watch the stream, looks like ESPN. And any new people hopping on board in the future, like, I made my decision and then it becomes, fuck, I chose the wrong side. And then uh, you're like, it's tough, man. People aren't thinking about that though. They're not thinking that. They're thinking, <laughs> they're thinking, thinking 2019 Nats is going to be forever. I mean, it, it, I, it's possible that there's something that I'm not considering that there's some, that there's an idea or the, a way that this can work out. Um, you know, I, hey, I'm open to that. And if, if the USAPL decided to leave based on principle, you know, I'm sure that that would be part of the calculus. And I, I am a fan of powerlifting, man. Like I, I would hope that they kill it in whatever uh, their they decide is their niche that they're bringing to the table. And you know, the IPF's going to do what the IPF's going to do, and Sheffield will be a thing. And hey, great. You know, I, th I think as long as we're kind of living out those principles and we're going to be fine, but uh, uh, 
if you're the USAPL, I think there's just a lot of questions that have to be answered. And um, look, if you're the USAPL, you've got so much better information on all of this than, you know, random us, random yeah. commenters online and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that, right? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Shane, you were about to say something, sorry. I was going to say, this is probably the the only time that would uh, work for the USAPL to do it because we're in this lull. Um, I think if COVID didn't happen, I don't think this would be nearly as much of an issue because we're all, we would just be all too busy with our head down, focusing on the next meet, the next worlds. Um, I think this pause definitely has allowed more polarized discussion about stuff like this. Um, so if, if they were to do it, this would be the time because they, they have a, a break before the uptick of the international championships start happening. So then you'd have a little more time to get all your ducks in a row. But I, I think the flip side, I think that's also why a lot of this the rhetoric, not even specific to USAPL, even just in general, there's just a lot of polarization. I think everyone is just generally pissed off. So it just doesn't <laughs> take much for anyone to get mad anymore, which is, you know, it just is what it is. We're all stuck in our houses. Well, not you Americans, luckily. <laughs> yeah, we are. But no, but you're right, though, in terms of um, the timing couldn't be better that we missed the worlds last year. We're looking like it might miss the worlds this year. Um, if it's two years in a row, people haven't seen worlds. So the, you know, people have short memories and some people, the average lifespan of a powerlifter is two, three years. So some people have never seen a world's USAPL is going to pull off the raw Nats. They're going to pull off uh, a North American and a Pan American, like an international there. So they, their momentum isn't slowing as much. And then Sheffield canceled and then Sheffield may be canceled again if, if Worlds doesn't happen. So then in terms of, you know, capitalizing on the lull in excitement and people in general, like you said, are, are more pissed off um, and, and, and far more polarized on almost everything um, than it is. It's like, this is looking, fellas, if this is, this is the time, are we going to do this? Are we going to, you know, this is where, if it's ever going to happen, it's going to happen now. Because once Worlds starts back up, Sheffield starts back up, or Sheffield begins. If you haven't left by then, you probably are probably gonna be like, ah, I think no, I think we should stay. So you better, you got to do it now. I think, I think you're right, timing wise, and I think that's why possibly the rhetoric coming out now is a little sampling. How, how are people feeling? What's what's the taste on this? If they listen to this podcast, they might be like, wow, I'm sure they considered everything we thought of. But I just honestly, half of this is I hope. Everything gets sorted. And I hope that almost like some people who haven't thought of some of the points we thought of, just consider it. If I, if you do nothing more of listening to this podcast, just consider some of the repercussions. God damn it in life. It's the biggest mistakes are not considered the bigger picture of being like, just thinking like I got jabbed. I'm going to hit back. It's like, hang on a second though. You know, there could be other options, creative options. You don't have to win. You don't have to lose. It's not about that necessarily you know, be, because later on down the road, man, you can't take it back sometimes. And I think, um, I think so another, go ahead. Aaron. Well, I was, I was going to talk about another interesting point that people brought up that they should be considering is like, some of the people are saying like, Oh, if USAPL leaves, a bunch of other countries are going to follow. And I, I think that's not necessarily logical thing for a couple of reasons. One being like for a lot of these countries, it's not like how USAPL is where like, you know, it's just like a, a registered business in the countries. Like they may be registered with their ministry of sport as the, for the sport of powerlifting, that is the federation. And they may be registered also with their 
national anti-doping feder uh, organization. And so they are the, the anti-doping is they have one federation for each sport. So that was the issue like in Australia where uh, Robert Wilkes left and then the anti-doping had to look at both federations and select who they're going to be the ones are backing. And so it's not that easy for these other countries necessarily to just, you know, leave. Um, it's not like, you know, the president can just make the decision and make that switch. They may lose their, their anti-doping and then they don't have any anti-doping and maybe like, you know, the, the ministry of sport, like maybe like will block them or something like that. I don't know all the details. The other thing people don't consider is that a lot of these countries are already following these rules. They are doing the water yeah, testing, like, like Shane says for, for CPU. Um, they may already be doing, you know, IPF approved lists. A lot of them already follow the IPF age divisions of like, you know, sub junior and juniors. USAPL is one of the only few ones that has like, you know, the teen one, two, and three. So what would be their point for leaving if they're already following all the things that are in this bylaws and constitution? If USAPL is the one that's not necessarily following all of them and the one that's going to be affected by it the most. Uh, some I of these, 100% agree. Some of these, uh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. We're still Canadian. Um, Two nice Canadians. Some of these, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry. Uh, sorry. No, excuse me. No, excuse, excuse you, excuse me. Um, some of these uh, federations also, because it's IOC recognition and et cetera, they get like government funding and like their national teams get paid for to go to them. And even if you think like some lifters are a little, like some of these lifters are talking to some other lifters and other countries like, oh, they seem a little disgruntled. There's always going to be some disgruntled, but to the point of leaving is massive. It's not small. And if pe people who are saying like USAPL leaves, watch all these other Fed leaves, they're not. It's not going to happen. Like that's a pipe dream. Like where is that coming from? That seems very unrealistic to me. Um, don't base that decision off of that. I think that would be a bad move. That <laughs> would be the I biggest. I was just going to add, add in there real quick too, as far as like, yeah, how what, what the move would be, it would be, if enough IPF member federations don't like what's going on, like let's say however many was 18 voted down the constitution, or let's say if it was 20, 30, 40, 50, they'd be more likely to just vote out the EC members, like have a meeting and do the two thirds vote to vote out those people and put new people in position rather than just leaving completely. And, and yeah, they, I agree. I, I think that'd probably be one of the best routes is stay in the IPF and affect change within it. If the USAPL yeah. leaves, they cannot affect any change. So that the so if they have issues with the IPF, then they are 100% cut off and they will never be able to positively impact the IPF ever again because now they're on their own. Um, and yeah, to speak to that, I think a lot of the federations don't see a lot of these changes as significant because like we, CPU uses uh, the, uh, the approved list all the way from the local level to the, to the national level. We do, we do WADA. So a lot of this really hasn't, really affected any of our day-to-day -day. the the nations like the uh, the autonomous issue with the ipf i think there's probably some going to be some discussion there but overall like a lot of these changes really doesn't is, isn't going to affect a lot of other feds so that's definitely a consideration that i'm again i'm sure the usapl is is well aware of like which feds are water compliant already kind of thing but yeah yeah, there, there's there's other ways like the, the divorce of and, and leaving is the last resort. And uh, people are speaking about it like so whimsically, like like the, it, it's probably the same people who are in the comments are like, fuck it, leave. And then, um, yeah, I bet you a bunch of others will leave, too. It's like they're not looking at it like you are. Their perspective is so it's it's a uh, 
there's so much they can work with. Like you're not going to agree. Votes happen all the time. You don't agree on things, but you, you, you stay within, like you gentlemen over, I said, and that's how change is done within. And you could vote and, and put new people in place. And if you think like the same people at the, at the top end of the IPF aren't going to necessarily going to be the same people, five years, 10 years, what's the plan? What's the 10 year plan? You can look ahead and be like, look, there's, there's different futures ahead for all of us, right? Like Shane's the president of Canada and he's a young guy when he came into power, like it's, you know, it's a very drastic thing to say, leave. That's a very last resort. So if you're thinking you're going to leave and then you're counting on everybody else as well, I, I think, mo again, I can't help but think these are the people that three months ago were like, fuck, I did, fuck the USAPL. And now we're like, fuck the IPF. I'm rolling with the USAPL. And now they're like, hey, I bet you these other people are thinking just like we think. No, most people aren't thinking like that. Most people don't take drastic stances of so quick you know, most people are like, let me think of like, like Mike, let me think about this. What's the plan? What's the plan? Well, I'm, I'm open for conversation. I, want, I wanted to ask you, uh, you and Shane both, like, what do you see since we're imagining like possible futures where you know, USAPL leaves the IPF? What does that do to CPU and like, go ahead and speak uh, for the larger world of powerlifting as well, like, do you guys have a you, view on that? You go, sh you go first. I'll speak on the IPF worlds because I'm the commentator there. What I think, but you go ahead, Shane. Well, like, like the CPU is like we're self-sufficient. Uh, we definitely love the USAPL, and we would love to have them stay. And I think it's it would be smart if they did. But I understand if they chose. But I, it really wouldn't. I don't think it would affect too much of our daily operations. We, we may, we likely see maybe a decrease in like viewership because I know a lot of USAPL lifters are friends on Instagram with other cane lifters. So just like the branding association would probably become splintered. Uh, but I really don't see too much of an issue unless the IPF world would be affected. And if that level gets affected and reduced in, like quality or branding or financials, then the rest of us would definitely feel it. But if the IPF is business as usual, I, I don't think it would be that devastating to like the surrounding nations that are, are currently a part of the IPF. So if I can summarize, it's like, man, that's a bummer. Yeah, like it sucks, I, but it's like, it, it, but it's not in my house. So it, it's right, like it's, my neighbor yeah. got it. My neighbor left. It's like, well, that sucks. I like my neighbor, <laughs> but my new but neighbor I still got nice. bills to pay and I got to, you know, go to work in my right. house. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it, it brings to mind too, uh, when PA left, you know, and the experience of going to worlds, like, yeah, it was weird not seeing the people that you're used to seeing and, and, but the competition did go on. You know, so in terms of the IPF worlds, there is like a, still like 130 member nations. There is still all those people I already said, and then there will still be a US team. Like people talk, like it was crazy. People entered my DMs and they're like, picture worlds, like it's starting to turn into just Europe and it's starting. And I'm like, hang on a second. You're talking to me like America is leaving. No, USAPL is leaving. There will be US representation. America is not leaving my friend. They're not leaving the map or something. We're not in two different worlds now. Like um, I was uh, the, the IPF in terms of like the amount of money that they have in terms of uh, sponsorships, in terms of um, the amount of lifters, 
that's going to be at their world championships. It'll be the same amount. The only difference will be is the American representation. And it won't be right through either. Look, we just talked about earlier. Taylor Atwood had posted saying, look, at it means a lot more to me to be a world champion than a national champion. He didn't, I don't think he straight up said, I would leave and go with the IPF affiliate. But I, so, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but there will be people that like major people who at the world level would be, are still going to be there. And that would be the only guy in the 74s we'd probably see. So then it'd be no different in 74s, no different in maybe a couple others. Like at the IPF world, it wouldn't be as crazy different as some people might think, right? Uh, so I don't know. I mean, like, look at, look, think of some of the divisions. If you go division by division, it's not going to be that. You're talking about one person, maybe not there. Maybe one person's not there. Maybe they actually are, though. Yeah, I mean, um, as far as like these other federations, I know a lot of them aren't necessarily on the same level of USAPL as far as membership and quality and everything like that. But if you just look back at like, when AAU lost their hold over all the sports and all these other federations came up, AAU now is like pretty much dead. It's only a few meets a year. USPF, when they lost their IPF affiliate and now over the years, they're pretty much like, you know, they're dead. For Powerlifting Australia, they're, they're still alive now. It's been only a few years and people went over with Robert Wilkes and stay with Powerlifting Australia. But now you're hearing the rumblings of some of, them, some of them wanting to come back like, oh, yeah, like, you know, maybe it didn't pan out the way they thought. And maybe like, you know, things are as, as good as they wanted. And now they're going to come back to the IPF affiliate. So, yeah, people assume that like, oh, you know, there's not going to be any U.S. lifters at Worlds. It depends on when it happens and when which Worlds it is, what the timeline is. Maybe IPF like, you know, bring brings them in as like, you know, unaffiliated certain ones, or maybe they get like, you know, a federation done in time where then those lifters can switch over and come over. And so maybe some of those top lifters, you, you don't lose them at all. I, I don't know. I have no inside information on this whatsoever, but I would be shocked if they wouldn't be able to throw a USA, if Taylor Atwood, Russell or he, uh, whoever, Sam Calhoun was like, I'm ready to come over. If they're like, we will have, we'll have a fed in place and throw a USA on your chest. We want this to look as good as possible at the world's because we, we know, we, we know people that are watching be like, we want to see, it's like you want to see you bump into your ex and you don't want to do too good. <laughs> you know, you, you got to look bad. So you're like, we got to look good. We got to look good when we're about to meet the ex at the bar and whatever. Um, yeah. It's interesting, fellas. Um, any more comments on this? We've addressed quite a bit here. We did quite a bit, even, even though we don't have all the inside facts at all. We, we, we address quite a bit, but I, I think anyone who just says like, you know, one way or another definitively, then they're not necessarily like, you know, thinking it through. Um, anyone who's like, you know, talked about it and, and actually discussed it, like they're all like, we're not sure. It just depends on like how things play out and what is said and this and that. Um, and so once everything is presented, if anything happens, we'll, we'll see what happens in June and what happens in November, then we'll make our decision. It, it's man. This is what I wanted in this podcast. This is it. I wanted um, like uh, representation, not just in the US. So it's, it's a little more of a global vibe because it's going to affect everybody. But just discussion on like, not just hurrah, hurrah. Let's all, let's all get hyped up and hype each other up and uh, move in. Like just actually consider this, guys. 
you know, like think about this one. And um, I'm not sure. I didn't see it in the comments. I know that. And I haven't seen it a lot online and I don't, so I don't, I don't honestly don't know if anyone's actually had an honest conversation where it was like this, maybe, probably, I guarantee. I don't, I'm not saying we're the only ones, but I haven't seen enough of it. I'll say it was unbalanced. I'm sure there's podcasts that are doing it properly. And there are some people doing it properly on social media, but the balance wasn't there for sure. And I do take the King of Lifts, you know, responsibility. And I'm like, this has got to be somewhat balanced. And I know we're not all agree on everything. And um, so that's, that's the best. Some people were, were DMing saying like, well, who are you having on? I'm going to have two Americans on there. And um, like some Arians posts were being reposted by the USAPL. I'm like, we're not going to agree on everything, but that's okay. I don't have to agree with everybody. I, as a matter of fact, I want to get pulled into the middle. And um, I am also not married to all my opinions. I could be wrong, man. I don't see everything like, you know, I, I'm, I'm more on the water side, IPF side, but I don't think everything's perfect. And I don't think I under, fully understand what it's like to be a USAPL lifter. And I don't think I fully understand what they're facing in terms of running the organization. And I'm willing to listen. And like, whoa, whoa. and that's the only way we're going to get to any kind of compromise if it's possible. Um, and I don't see enough of that, God damn it. And that's why I do, you know, obviously, Mike, I do you're an elder statesman and you'd be perfect on here. <laughs> you know, I'd be like, let me get Mike on here because even if we disagreed on something, it's different when we do. It feels different, man. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It's more eloquent. <laughs> it's important though. It's important if you can't have a conversation and articulate. Well, and, I talk slower. So yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> and you also like, um, it's not about winning, man. It's not about like, let me get in here and win an argument. It's more like, what is your stance on this? Let me understand it. And then be like, fuck, maybe I didn't even think about it that way. You know, and then you're like, okay, well, that makes sense. Like even with the drug testing, I see now, even though I, even though I'm like, even if I'm still more WADA, et cetera, at least I understand when you're talking about, listen, Ryan, the core values and when they started and it, this means, okay, I, I don't have to agree to understand. That's maybe that's what some people don't get. I don't have to agree to understand. And it's yeah, okay. That's a, that's a really good summary of my philosophy around so much stuff. So yeah. Yeah. hundred percent with you on that. Fellas, do we, do we have advice on, uh, at this moment, are we going to leave it at, like, I would say I'm comfortable in saying, I don't think they should leave. I think it would be a bad decision right now from what I see. I'll say that I'm not going to put you guys on the spot because I think you were all pretty honest saying I need more information. If anybody, if anybody wants to give their opinion, you go ahead. But I would say, don't do it. Don't, don't quit us. Yeah, well, I was, uh, was going to say, uh, yeah, need more information. Like I'll wait till the meeting, see what information is provided and then uh, make a decision. And uh, for people listening, listen to the other episodes that are coming up. So you can hear more from, you know, the anti-doping experiment like that to get more information. And then also I'd say, if, if you have any questions or want to talk about it, I mean, you can always message me. I had a few people, you know, text message me or, you know, Instagram DM me and ask questions about it because, you know, what's necessarily posted in the comments is not all, all, all the information that's out there. True. And if nothing else, have an open mind, right? Well, yeah. Do you guys want to do an overrated, underrated game? Sure. Let's do it. Just something a little lighter. <laughs> I don't know. I might give a serious topic. Dude, don't pick a serious topic. We like freaking are talking about the. <laughs> All right, we'll see what we can do. Um, Mike, have you heard us play this game before? 
Is it going to yeah. be more bench only hate? <laughs> I mean, we're still getting DMs about that. <laughs> I mean, we, we can throw wraps, uh, you guys, you guys sharing your uh, heretical view on wrist wraps. That was another we, one of my personal favorites. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. I was going to say we can bring up maybe one of the old ones to hear her thoughts. I mean, since Mike said wrist wraps, <laughs> let's hear your thoughts overrated, underrated on wrist wraps. Oh, Lord. Man, the. I've got to say wrist wraps are, uh, are overrated. I don't like for me personally, especially like I don't use wrist wraps on anything and I don't really see the need for it. Like I I see that some, some people have wrist issues and you would use wrist wraps to work around that. Yeah, I get it. But I don't know. That seems to be a, a appropriate evaluation to me. I told, I told Rory that his, his comments, uh, on wrist straps being like his most important piece of kit were uh were heretical so just get out of here with that <laughs> it was a little much tough to digest how about you shane i think they're underrated as a knee oh. bencher i need my wrist wraps and especially in some of the techniques like you really can't break your wrist like like for the for the bench uh, without a wrist wrap like i mean you could but that definitely loads it a lot more and like I know for myself, I got dainty wrists, so I need the support. Um, but yeah, y'all love wrist wraps are the way to go. Plus, they, they're effective for deadlifts too, and obviously very supportive for squats, like super versatile. And again, as an equip lifter, any piece of equipment that I can use, I'm going <laughs> to yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. So Everything's underrated. That. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. I need to be a better bench technician. I'm, I'm open to that. that criticism. I, I, I was going to say, Mike and I aren't very good benchers, but I believe we both <laughs> bend our bend our wrist back when we bench press without wrist wraps. But yeah, maybe that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, maybe me too. Uh, all right. I have qu- quite a list here. I wasn't sure what that throw out, but maybe since we have Mike on, I will throw this one at him. So it's a programming question. So overrated, underrated, the programming, the protocol, a single at an RPE8. Oh, man. At this point in powerlifting culture, I've got to say it's a little overrated. Not a, not a ton, but a little overrated. I mean, look, it's, it's a great way to you know, measure your progress, practice your skill. It, it's a useful protocol but it's not something that you have to do every week. It's not something that everybody responds well to. Uh, we've get, had a ton of lifters uh, who, if you give them anything in that range, they just seem to get beat up from it. So, well, guess what? You don't do that, <laughs> you know? So it, it's definitely not a, not a magic bullet. I'm going to, I'm, I'm... Oh, I thought you like going last, Ryan. Well, I don't need to after Mike T. <laughs> if it's fucking yeah. programming and it's Mike T. So uh, guess argue. what? Guess what, bud? I'm going to hide behind Superman on this one. It's yeah. a it's a gutless, ballless move, and that's what I'm going. I'm echoing what Mike T said on programming. Imagine that. Slash agree. Yeah, there you go. Slash, I'm going to slash agree on this one. What do you think, Arian? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I would have to say, Maybe people are using it a little bit less now than when Mike initially started putting it in. It's kind of like, you know, it's good and bad that like, you know, when someone comes out with an ID and everything like that, if it's effective, then everyone jumps on it. You know, everyone gets the the gains, but also, you know, sometimes like people just overuse it. Like 
maybe they hear Mike talking about it, but they don't understand the entire concept of it. And they're like, well, if he's doing it for everyone, they're just assuming everyone's doing it under Mike every single week, then I must do it every time too. And so, you know, everyone started doing it and maybe he has pulled back a little bit, but I put it slightly overrated is that like Mike said, you don't have to always do it year round and it can be like, you know, a, a triple at an eight. Why does it have to be a single at eight? Um, hey, imagine that. Yeah. Or, or Two like reps, maybe a, three reps. <laughs> yeah. If you get beat up from a single at an eight, why not like a single at a seven? Like, you know, you're still getting somewhat heavy and you're still kind of getting engaged where your estimated one RM is, and then you can do your back off work. So I think it's just like the reason why I put that is like, I think a lot of people for like, again, for Instagram, they want to post like, you know, a heavy single. And so like they'll program in the, the single out of eight, maybe push it to 8.59 and say, oh, it's an eight. Like, oh, I just misgrooved or whatever like that. So they can kind of post heavy lifts all the time. Cause like, you know, I always have clients that always just want to go heavy and you have to convince them that like doing the volume work in the 70 to 80% range is going to make you strong as well. It's not just, you know, working up to a heavy single all the time. Yeah. Well, so it's not always the sexy stuff that pops on Instagram. That's going to get you. It's that back end, good, honest salt of the earth work right fellas exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like yeah sure well listen um all you guys are coaches how do people get a hold of you if they want some coaching who wants to go first we'll go with mike um you can hit me up on instagram at mike Tushir, or if that's too difficult to spell uh reactive training systems pretty much anywhere uh, there's a reactive training systems.com uh, we've got a free training log on there and course instagram youtube perfect shane my man uh you can hit me up at smartlifts is my instagram handle and my uh, coaching company uh smartlifts.info is the website you can have a look there um yeah it's pretty much that sounds <laughs> good i don't really so, have a lot to i don't really got a big selling pitch here no i mean no, well it, it is what it is instagram like social media everyone you could have the most uh beautiful website and people just slide in your dms <laughs> you know, and you're like god damn it i you know a lot of people like i don't even know if i want to keep my website going because everyone slides in my dms and i start processing from there but uh yeah so yeah, i just spent like a bunch of money updating my website it should, should go live in a couple of weeks but yeah same thing most there you go just there's an announcement for you so yeah my new website's gonna drop in like i don't know a couple of weeks <laughs> there it is <laughs> Keep an eye out for it. Keep an yeah, eye out for it. Keep an eye out. There you go. <laughs> that, that's the pitch. I don't know. A couple of weeks. Right? That's it. But, but, that's but it. Also, Keep up guessing. But also my pitch is if you follow Shane on Instagram, he makes some good posts about like, you know, meet day coaching and stuff like that. Like things people should know as far as attempt selection, stuff like that. So that's good things to follow. Um, for me on my Instagram is at Coach Aaron K. And like I said, if someone wants to talk to me about this stuff with USAPL and not about coaching, my email is also airing at thestrengthguys.com. So you can always email me as well. You've been getting, man, people tell me that like they reach out to you and you become like a voice of reason about uh, for like, well, like, or voice of information as well. I should well, say. also for this specific situation, I still am an athlete rep for USAPL. So it's technically part of my, my position as well. And, and um, Shane, um, not to put you on the spot too much about the can, CPU updates, but is there, is there any like updates or anything that maybe wish you want to let people know that you've been put on social media and you could reiterate here or anything, uh, any updates that um, you can give or no? We have the AGM in a couple weeks. And then after the AGM, we'll be able to announce some stuff, but uh, we definitely have a lot of things in the works. We're just hoping for our government to let us outside of our houses. And then we can start uh, getting the ball rolling. I guess to touch on the CPU stuff, if anyone has any questions about CPU related information, don't be afraid to 
again, DM me on Instagram, or you can email uh, president at powerlifting.ca. That's the official uh, email. Again, we're trying to be as open and as transparent as possible with this new board. So we have no issues talking about anything. If you guys have any questions, again, it could be small or it can be more large administrative. We're happy to at least give some insight. We want to try to be a little more uh, open, I guess, in the coming years. So, yeah, you know, amen to that, my friend. Um, yeah, these are tough times that you took the reins on though, huh? Bad, yeah, bad tough, tough first year. <laughs> this is your statement. first year in the role. And I got, you're like, yeah. no I got elected in March and then COVID happened two weeks after I got uh, elected. We're, yeah, right. You're you're the guy that's canceling nationals and blah blah yeah, blah. I'm the, like, evil, oh, God. I'm the evil president. That's I'm the right. worst. <laughs> Everyone's like, all the numbers were shit when you were president. This wasn't me. <laughs> but uh, listen, gentlemen, honestly, um, you gave me like freaking I don't know how many hours we're at. We're, we we were talking before we started recording, um, but I really do appreciate it. Like this is this one was a special one. I don't not to beat a dead horse here, but you guys were all chosen on purpose. And um, you guys definitely brought your purpose. And the door is always freaking open. I know, uh, Arian, you, you don't need to hear that because you're like doing this all the time. But um, Shane, as a, as a Canadian powerlifting federation president, by all means, if you want to come on here with some news and whatnot and updates, uh, very well spoken, very interested. Mike, you've been on here several times now, recurring guest. And um, you are soft-spoken, but you are a voice of reason, my friend. And uh, you're very well articulate. And you think about what you're going to say before you're going to say it. And much appreciated, my man. And your contributions. Um, if I'm in a room and we're talking powerlifting, people can't put down Mike T. That's it. KP, you don't even have to be in the room. I'm sure everybody's going to stick up for you. You brought RPE to powerlifting and you've given so much. Much appreciated, my friend. Um, so thank you for coming on and, and that's it, ladies and gentlemen, until next time and look out for the anti-doping expert coming on, uh, a scientist that's going to go more into the drug testing and that'll be the next episode till next time, gentlemen. <laughs>